This is Bars Loaded with Ben and Nick. A strength, powerlifting and performance podcast. Where we hope to share our opinions, help educate and inspire. Tell a few stories, build a community along the way and... Bars Loaded. Welcome back, Ben. Welcome back, Nick. Long time no talk. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like like I went to bed listening to your voice last night and... Woke up today and here we are. You did. What did I ever to do to deserve such pleasure twice in one week? You're a lucky man, that's all I'm going to say. Tell you what, women would kill for this pleasure. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't. <laughs> no. Can confirm, they do not. <laughs> Life experience says otherwise. Yes. <laughs> 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 I'm laughing so I don't cry. Pretty much, yeah. I'm an emotional man. <laughs> um, what were you saying before we started recording? Do I like your new hat? Yeah, I'm gonna. I am gonna ask you because I. Yep. I can't remember what I was doing when you sent me the photo of the new hat, but I was in the middle of doing something. So I think I'm, I might have just given you like a really quick response on like, oh that. It's a deeper color or something. But did you go and buy a new hat, but it's exactly the same hat as what you had? Yes. <laughs> same no, color, I, same logo, everything. I, I have one better for you as well. It's yeah. my third one. <laughs> <laughs> of exactly the same hat? Yep. Do you get it from Rebel? No. Okay, I was going to, oh, is it from an actual physical shop? Yeah. So when you go in, are they just like, here you go, buddy, from behind the counter? <laughs> They're like, he's back again. <laughs> <laughs> nah, like, I've got, so I bought one originally and didn't realize how much the black color would wash out when I sweat. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of, I had one as like, that was like my initial hat. And then when it started to really like discolor, then I bought another one and it just discolored anyway, like being out in the sun, wearing it, all that sort of shit. Yeah. Um, and this one here, I'm kind of like, this will be my indoor only hat. Indoor so this one, only? Yeah. As in like, if I'm going out, like I won't wear this one, I'll wear other ones. This will be like when I'm at the gym working, this is what I'll wear. I won't wear it while I'm training. Like I'll have more more guidelines around it and see if I can get a little bit longer out of this one than I do the others. That's a work hat only. Yep. Because I tried to get um, the one with the the Bulls logo on the front. Yep. But none of the – everywhere it's like, oh, we've got them online. We just don't have it in store. I'm like, well, I'm like, I don't want to wait for it to come in. Like, I want it now. I know. And then, like, I just like the Raiders logo as well. I'm like, fuck it. So – is it a Raiders hat, is it? Yeah. Do you you don't follow the Raiders because you don't follow NFL? Correct. Okay. This is very much an aesthetic only hat. This is not <laughs> a I follow the team hat. Do you know much about the Raiders or the Raiders fans or anything like that? I do not. Okay. Educate. So, fun, yeah. So, fun fact the Raiders are from Oakland. Mm-hmm. I did uh, know that. Yeah. So, well, not originally, but. Most recently, um, they're originally well, actually from LA. Originally, I did kind of want to do a bit of it. Like, have you you've seen basketball, haven't you? Yeah, 
you know, when they're talking about where all the teams jump around, they're like, yeah. and they move back to Oakland, and no one really seems to care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I say when I say originally, well, like recently, originally they're from LA, and before that, probably somewhere else. But yeah. ever since I've known them, they've been from Oakland, which mm-hmm. is in California. It's actually just over the bridge from where San Francisco is. Okay. It's actually where the stadium for Golden State Warriors is. Okay, cool. That, that's actually in Oakland. Okay. Um, so it's all they're very close to the San Francisco 49ers, which are obviously mm-hmm. just over the bridge in San Francisco. The San Francisco 49ers are a very wealthy organization. They've won a fuckload of um, championships in the in their history. Mm-hmm. They're a very storied history organization. They've have a lot of players in the Hall of Fame. They're kind of like one of the silver tail teams of the NFL. You know, their colors are red and gold. Just everything about them is pretty. Screams money. They've got money. They've got Hall of Fame players. They've had one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Joe Montana played for them, won championships for them. Great organization. Oakland, on the other hand, is from over the bridge in the poor part of town, and they haven't had a ton of success. They don't have a ton of money, but what they do have is a lot of fucking attitude. Mm -hmm. So they're one of the teams that if you play Oakland, you're probably going to win, but you're also probably going to get injured. It's going to be like a scrap match. It's a scrappy match. And yeah. the way they play is kind of indicative of the town that they come from. And that's okay. also then represented in their fans. Yeah. So the Oakland colors are silver and black. Their logo is like the Viking pirate guy. Mm-hmm. Very like kind of like intimidating vibes straight off the bat. Their Oakland itself is especially the poor areas is predominantly an African American um, in like place where they yep. where they kind of dominate the population. So you can imagine a lower socioeconomic city with a rough don't give a fuck team, a rough don't give a fuck owner who owned the team and literally was like his his philosophy was I don't have a whole lot of money. I want to win championships. I don't really give a fuck about public perception and PR. So he would buy all of the players that other teams like discarded because they had domestic violence or they were out on the piss every night. They did mm. dumb shit in the media so the other teams kind of fired them to get away from them. The Raiders yep. were like, yeah, come over here, buddy. You're exactly <laughs> what we want. <laughs> yeah. So the fans literally dress up as like, Vikings and paint their face black and like come to the game with like fucking chains around their neck and stuff. It's like super intimidating, bro. Like awesome. big time. So when I first moved to America, I lived just north of San Francisco in the Napa Valley. And me being me, when I played rugby, I was a you know a bit of a rough head. I, I liked. The, the physical side of the game more than the mm-hmm. skill side of the game. 
So I moved in with a few boys, a few a few roommates, and they all went for the 49ers. Keep in mind, the 49ers often won. So it was like, okay, they're a good team. They're our home team. A lot of people around there went, were like, followed that team. Yeah. I was like, ah, fuck that. I'm not going to go for them if everyone goes for them. I'm in this unique position where I don't have a team because I'm new. I can pick whatever team I want, and I want to go for the rough team. So, so I just started following the 49ers, uh, uh, following the Raiders. Yeah. And I followed them for about half a season. And then I was just like, oh, dude, I can't follow this team anymore because they should just do the dumbest shit every yeah. game and, like, like kick players when they're on the ground and, like, like, rip their helmets off and, like, swing them at other players and stuff. Like, I can't fucking follow this team. They're a bunch of lunatics. <laughs> So, Good times. Um, so I, instead, I ended up started following um, the Seahawks, which was um, the 49ers' arch rivals at the time. Yeah. And then they went on a bit of a dynasty run, but only won the Super Bowl once. It should have been mm-hmm. should have been more than once, but it's a whole yeah. whole other story for a whole other day. But yeah, that's the story of the Raiders. Happy actually, days. it actually suits you really well. Yeah, the Viking pirate. Yeah, I don't know. Is it a Viking or a pirate? It's one of them. I think it's... Or it's a raider. It's a... That's what it is, yeah, a raider. So yeah. It kind of so looks like Deadpool. Yeah, it's like a Viking pirate raider thing. But yeah, Ben's got his inside hat on. Yeah. Do you have any other hats that are any other color other than black? Yeah, I've got um, I've got a green Boston hat, mm-hmm. um, and then the Cel- I've- Boston Celtics. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, might be might be Red Sox, but it's green. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I've got like my like light brown cowboy hat as well. As in Dallas Cowboys? No, as in like I've got like an Akubra hat. Oh, Akubra hat. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. Do yeah. you you follow the NBA, don't you? Not like, like if someone's going to be like, oh, who do you follow in the NBA? I'm like, I, I don't have a team. I you just have, have You just like no, players. I have players I like to watch. Um, yep. But like with so many sports, I just fucking love highlight reels. Oh, dude. Like, even when I go to the gym, like, they've always got, like, ESPN on. So, there's, like, always either, like, football or basketball on. Like, I was there yesterday and they had, like, the all-star game on. And, like, I was watching that, but I'm like, okay. It is. It's kind of of like that now, hey. Well, like, I I just, I'm like, I, I would rather play a sport than sit down and watch it. Unless... Unless I'm actually watching it at the venue live, like if I if someone's gonna be like, "Hey, look, we've got tickets to go to the NBA," I'd be like, "Fucking, like, let's go." Yeah. Or if like even like again, I couldn't give two fucks about cricket, mm-hmm. but like I've gone to like the T20 a couple of times, and it's like it's pretty at fun, the, huh? Like at the MCG, watching T20 cricket, you know, you have a couple of beers. It's summer. It's good weather. And you just see these guys who are like, well, we've just got, you know, 
not not a whole lot of overs to work with. Like we're just going to absolutely flog the fuck out of some balls. Yeah. If someone was going to be like, "Hey, do you want to sit down and watch the T Twenty?" I'd be like, "No." Like I couldn't think of anything fucking worse, except for maybe watching like tennis or soccer. Tennis but, is like, alright sometimes. Oh, I couldn't fucking think of like it's boring as shit for me. I fucking really? hate it. But again, if I if someone was going to be like, "Hey, do you want to go to, to watch a game at the Australian Open?" I would probably enjoy it a lot more. I just think yeah. the idea of like sitting at home watching sport on TV, I'm like, either have me there at the venue watching it live in person, or I'll just watch highlight reels when it's done. Yeah, there's most sports I'm similar, um, but there's some sports that I'll I'll just watch the whole game, um, yeah. like an NFL game. Like I'll sit and watch the whole game. Um, but the cool thing about that as well is they have Red Zone. Have you heard of that? So Red Zone is a channel. Because because the way the NFL works is most of the games are played on Sundays Mm -hmm. every week at the same time. Mm -hmm. So they have a whole bunch of morning games, a whole bunch of afternoon games, and they all kick off at the same time. So... Red Zone is one channel that's dedicated. They they just take the um, the video footage from all of the games, and they only show you the games where teams are in the red zone, which is like the forty meter, the forty yard line into the goal line. Yeah. So it's like they're about to score. We're going to show you this. So it's like whatever you're watching, it's like one, two, three, four plays, and and there's a action. So you're mm-hmm. not just watching like the shit in the middle of the field that doesn't really mean much. Yeah. So that's pretty exciting because it just flicks between games and it's like touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, field goal. A little bit and, more exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And you can keep up with what's going on around the around the thing as well. But um Nice. Dude, I can't believe you don't like tennis. Nah. Those guys are pretty fucking athletic. Don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. It's like if someone's like, like, oh, but like Tiger Woods is such a great golfer. Like, how do you not like golf? I'm like, because it's fucking boring. Do you not like golf? Fuck no. Oh, dude, come on. Tiger Woods is so good at golf. Nah. <laughs> oh, dude, he's so impressive, though. But if someone was going to be like, hey, look, do you want to go play like 18 holes? We'll get a cart and we're going to like have a couple of beers and shit while we're playing. I'd be like, fuck yeah, let's go. Yeah, that's fun. I'll tell you what, though. Going to sport is way better than watching it on TV. Absolutely. And that's where, like, again, I would very rarely sit down and watch a, like a game of anything at home. Whereas if someone's going to be like, hey, do you want to go to like a, a game? I'd be like, yeah, cool. Like, let's go. That's fine. Yeah. I can enjoy even, lo- even local games are pretty exciting. Yeah. I was pretty spoiled when I lived in the States. Yeah. Um, when I lived in San Francisco, it was pretty cool because when I first got there, that was like pre-Steph Curry era for the mm-hmm. Golden State. And they, I don't know if you remember, dude, but they were fucking shit before Steph Curry. I do remember, yeah. Like, abysmally shit. Mm. So, the tickets for the games were like 20 bucks. <laughs> I don't think they'd lead- be that cheap now. 
dude, they lost every game. It was mm. fucking horrible. It was like them and Sacramento were just shit. Yeah. And because they play when they have like a home game stretch, they play like two or three games a week at home. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the baseball in town and the San Francisco Giants, they were, they were my team. They were pretty good. But the tickets in the bleachers for that are like 20 bucks. So me and the guys that I lived with, we'd go to like two games a week, every week. Yeah, Whether so it be that like would be basketball or baseball or whatever. It's like hmm. catch a ferry over, you, you drive to Vallejo, which is like 20 minutes away, jump on a ferry, 10-minute ferry ride straight over the, over the bay, you're in San Francisco, five-minute walk, you're at the stadium, 20 bucks, you're in, sit there for the whole night. It's great. Awesome. And then Steph Curry came, they started winning, ruined everything. Shit got real expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Shit got real expensive really quick. Mm. Dude can shoot though. Fuck man, can he ever? It's just like the, the only thing that I'm gonna say is that when so I played like really high level basketball when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I played like like growing up in like junior clubs, I played like Vic Champ levels, so it was literally as as high level as you could play. Mm-hmm. And my jersey number was thirty. Yeah, which is obviously Steph Curry's number, and I'm like, bro, I had it first. Yeah, it's mine. Still in your thunder. So really, really, like he can thank me for his career. <laughs> Dude, I've always actually wanted to ask a basketball player. It just how the fuck is he so good? Because he lives and breathes it. Yeah, but they all do. That's the thing, right? Like, they they all do. And I know he's mm. been around it since he was a kid because of his dad and he was the ball boy and whatever. But And even since he's been in the league, it, the league has changed and mm. a lot more players are better at shooting those really long threes like that, that were never that good before. Yeah. But he's just fucking, like, exceptional. Yeah, he's, a, he's an outlier. It's... Like, it's almost to the point where, well, it is to the point where I'll watch highlights of his and he shoots it from the fucking, like, tunnel or it'll be, like, zero seconds left on the clock and he's behind halfway and he'll just lob it up. And it fucking just goes in clean. Mm. And you think, that's lucky, right? Like, he just kind of throws it in that direction and it goes in. But then he just does it so much. And it goes in at such a high percentage that you're like, that can't be luck. Well, I mean, like, there's, like, even footage of him, like, when he's, like, walking under the basketball, like, under the ring, and he's just, like, dribbling, and it hits, like, this, like, weird spot on the court, and it doesn't quite catch in his hand. He's just, like, is that familiar with what the ball should feel like and what it should be doing as it hits the court? That when it doesn't hit it, he calls, like, someone over, he's like, you need to fix this patch of, of the court because the ball doesn't bounce properly here. Oh, really? I haven't seen that. That's cool. I'll try and find the video, but it's insane. But I look at it like, you know how like sometimes like we can get under some weight and we're like, there's something wrong about this. Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't know how you know, but there's just something instinctually where you're like, mm, these plates aren't calibrated. Uh, like if you've ever like squatted something heavy with bumpers, or like mm-hmm. pulled something heavy with bumpers, you're like, mm, yeah, it was meant to be like, say, 250, but 
I reckon it was maybe 245. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you don't know how you know, but you, you can just, you have that sort of like, almost like a sixth sense when it comes to being able to sort of like gauge what is and what isn't. Mm-hmm. And like, if I look back to like when I used to play basketball, there were just days when you were like, I'm on. Like you put the ball in my hand and it is going in. It doesn't matter where I shoot from, how heavily I'm being pressured. Like you give me the ball, it's going in the fucking ring. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like for someone like Steph or like realistically anyone in the NBA where they're paid a ghastly amount of money to be phenomenal basketballers, like mm-hmm. imagine like what's the average salary of an NBA player, do you reckon? Oh, I don't know what the average would be, but it's it's high. But like, for example, like I'm pretty sure you get paid something stupid like seven to twelve million dollars to sit on the bench. Yeah. Yes. So say average because the the outliers are really high. So let's say the average is like fifteen mil. Okay, I'm I'm gonna just we'll use Steph as a good example. Steph Curry salary for say twenty twenty three. That wouldn't include any sponsorship deals or anything like that as well. This is just basketball money. <laughs> was it like eight? Is it like eighty mil? Steph Curry signed a four-year, two hundred and fifteen million dollar deal. <laughs> yeah, so like sixty-seven so million. The average salary is like fifty-three, or just shy of fifty-four million dollars a year. <laughs> That's fucking retarded, hey. So a million dollars a week, yeah. And like, but imagine Which, this, like, and that obviously that's not that's not including any sponsorship deals or anything like that. Hmm. But imagine if someone was like, "Hey, Nick, we're going to pay you a million dollars a week to be the best at your sport." Hmm. Like, I'd be damn good. But you would literally go, "I'm going to pay a full time chef to cook everything that needs to be." done properly working with like I've got a chef and a nutritionist working together and they're going to sort out my my nutrition I've got a massage mm. therapist that I'm going to see every single week I've got sports doctors that are going to keep me on the forefront of everything so that I can be like at that like top one percent of the one percent mm. and you can literally structure everything around you to be like I'm going to set myself up so that all literally all I have to do is like fuck my wife and be a great basketballer mm. and yeah. probably like be a great dad yeah but like when when you think about it, that's well, that's exactly why I like LeBron so much. Yeah, like I don't really I don't really get into the who's the the goat debate um, because I mean it's fun to talk about, but I just think that there's never going to be a definitive answer because it's different generations, it's different well, games, say, different. It's like trying to say like who's a better powerlifter, like uh, like Ed Cohen or John Hack. It's like. They're it's both different. fantastic and they're different generations. So, like, they're probably, like, yeah. the greatest of their generation. But yeah. that's where I'm, like, I don't really I mean, like to get into debate. I just like to get into it to shit stir people when they're, like, really passionate about it. That's yeah. the only time I'm, like, and, like, I will I will change my answer based on who's trying to debate it. And someone's yeah, like, Jordan's the, the best. And I'm, like, no, I'm, like, LeBron clearly is. And if someone's, like, no, no LeBron's yeah. the best, I'm, like, no, Jordan clearly is. Like, yeah. I don't give two fucks. The thing I love, like fucking love about LeBron though is mm. how long he's been doing it for how old he is and just 
how athletically dominant he still is, even literally this year. Okay, so this is this is a fun question though. Do you reckon he's on like any sort of PEDs? Uh yes. Yeah. Like and it might just be like some peptides or something like that just to keep yeah. him at Growth that level of athletic. Yep. But like yep. he would have to be on something to sure. maintain that level of, of athleticism at what, like thirty nine? Yeah, he's like my age or a year older than me, so thirty eight, thirty nine. Yeah. It's Dude, I'm telling you, it's fucking impressive because, one, you would know better than anyone how hard basketball is on your limbs. Mm-hmm. And you, have you seen the, like, the photos and shit of his feet? Uh, no. So I'm not a foot guy. Like, I'm not searching fucking LeBron on Foot Finder and shit. But I have just seen... I seen it floating around on Instagram. Um, it was fuck. Someone made a post about it. One of those, um, one of those feet guy made a post about it. You know the, you know the strength and conditioning feet guy that are like if you don't wear Scott University. Um, yeah, like one of those guys. Like if you <laughs> if you don't, if you don't wear wide toe box shoes, like your entire you're gonna get foot long, cancer. Your lower limb's going to explode every time you take a step. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those posts, and the argument that they that person—I don't even know who it was—I can't remember—but the argument that they made for having a, a wide shoe with a flat sole was using LeBron's feet to highlight how fucked up your feet get if you wear normal shoes. Because, mm-hmm. dude, his like feet are fucked. Like he's got big fucking, like, bunions on them. His toes are all, like, crossed over. When you think about the amount of time that he's spent, like, putting force through his feet over and over and over again every single day for 40 years. Yeah. And then if that's what his feet looks like, what the fuck does his ankles and knees and hips look like? Which, again, is the thing where it's like, it wouldn't surprise me if he was on some peptides, a little bit of growth or something, something to keep the engine churning and to keep the joints and stuff doing their job. Yeah, I just can't see how how it would work any other way. And I know he, he does that. He's got, like, the chef and the private personal trainer. He's in obviously in great shape. But I know it was a few years back now. He- the squat video? Oh, this, yeah, the Scott video was fucking bad. That might have actually been around the same time. You know when he purposely downsized? Do you remember that year? No. It was it was probably four or five seasons ago now. Because mm-hmm. you know how he was, he's like a big, big dude? Yeah. So it was he was getting a little bit older. It might have been just after he left Miami. Mm-hmm. And went back to Cleveland, and he purposely one off season was like, "Okay, I need to not be as big because this is really starting to take a toll on my joints. Mm-hmm. I'm going to purposely downsize this off season." And he lost like a shit ton of weight and got like a lot leaner, and he's kept that that leaner, less muscly physique for like yeah. the latter half of his career. But fucking hell, from an athletic perspective, he's probably one of the most impressive specimens. Yeah, but this is also where I 
I think as well, like for you and I being so involved in strength sports for as long as we have, like our idea of a really good athletic body is like a really muscular, quite dense frame. But like in any other sport outside of power, I think it's like that's like, I mean, for a sport, like I say, like NFL, maybe that's valuable. In some positions. Yeah, in, in some, some positions. positions. Yep. But like you look at any basketball, like again, I work with a big V basketball club. Mm-hmm. All those dudes are like string beans. Yeah. And like that's a good build for basketball. Yep. But then it's a matter of like, okay, cool. Like we now need to reinforce the lower body significantly mm-hmm. because of obviously like how, you know, erratic the change of positions and stuff can be in that sport. Um, and then obviously make it so that like when they are going up for boards against like other guys, like when they inevitably do clash midair, they've got enough like size to them that they're not going to get like, you know, bounced out of the bloody, the, the can like contest for the ball. For the ball, yeah. So it's a, a really kind of fine balancing act between yeah. carrying enough size to not be completely ineffective and be able yeah. to use your body for things like screens and like when they like back, what do they call that when you like back into the basket with the ball? Backing in, I guess. It sounds super gay. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Where you're like, yeah. they're like, pushing backwards and you got to because it's a quite a physical sport at times it's a very physical like for a non-contact sport it's very physical it's definitely not non-contact i know they call it non-contact there's a fucking trust me i've played some basketball there's a lot of contact well it's like when i when people like talk to me about my like my back injury and i'm like yeah like i did that playing basketball they're like but isn't it meant to be non-contact i'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's non-contact in the fact that you can't touch someone's head when you're blocking the ball, and that's about it. Yeah. Everything else is contact. Yeah, it's like throw a cheeky elbow in there if you want, but if you get caught, you'll probably get a tech, and then you've got to sit on the bench. Yeah, which if you're tired, it's probably a good way to go out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's a – so then you've got to kind of balance that in between being durable enough to – to withstand multiple games per week throughout the season. Yeah. But this is also where looking at like training applications, I'm like, that's where I kind of like more of a power focus in sessions rather than strength. Mm -hmm. Because during, during the season. Yeah. Like during the season, obviously preseason as well. Um, But I, I think there's still a whole lot of merit for developing like, base level strength. Hmm. Yeah, of course. And you can you can do that in the off season, right? Like is that kind yeah. of how you would do it? Yeah, I mean like the way that I'm kind of like again it's it's a little bit interesting with the big V team because like we it's not like we get like sessions in the gym together every week. It's kind of like I give them like 10 minutes worth of drills to do before they start training. Yeah. So it's more just like cool like here are drills to do to try and stave off injury as best we can so it's a lot of body weight drills um and as we sort of talked about in recording one point of this conversation it's like (laughs) put the body in positions that shit will go wrong and like give them time so they do a lot of like split squats and paused like pauses in the end ranges and like a lot of lateral movement and a lot of like high volume body weight 
exercise to really drive a ton of blood flow, a ton of lactic acid, and just yep. condition the body to be able to handle more endurance. Yeah. But again, yeah, if just- I had them in the gym with me like once a week, it would be like, cool, like there would be like a lot of jumping, a lot of throwing, a lot of carries, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do they play multiple times a week? Uh, so in their in the preseason at the moment, like it can change from week to week. So I think they've got like a practice match tonight. Um, they've got training on Thursday, and then I think they've got games. And like they might play like Monday, Tuesday nights, train Thursdays or something like that in the preseason. Yeah, okay. um, and then so I think the season starts oh, like April. Yeah. Um, and they pretty much play however many weeks it ends up being. Um, and then obviously then they go, there's like obviously once they do their normal season, then there's like the like championship season after that if they make it, which yeah. from what the coaching staff have told me, um, last year they were sort of like on track to win the championship, but they lost like three of their best players to injury a few weeks out and that That's screwed them. So obviously... Brutal that's kind of where like my role comes in for this one of going, well, my, my job is to try and keep these boys, I say boys, healthy. these guys like healthy and injury free. Yeah. Um, and obviously like, you know, there's only so much you can do like as a strength coach for a sport where the goal isn't how strong someone is in a gym. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's just like, even there's a guy who's coming back from, he tore like his ACL and all that sort of shit. And so he's coming back from from that at the moment. And even yeah. like the other week when we were at training, like I was doing a bit of work with him, just like like I you know, he was just like practicing like shooting around like the three point line from different spots in the key. And I was like trying to encourage him because I think he's like eight months post op now. Yeah. So obviously he's getting to the point where like it's he's like he can't start doing stuff again. Yeah. Um but I'm like Throwing the ball just like a little bit further out so that he's actually got to like move to grab move it. Move a bit. Yep. Yeah. And like at the start, he's like, oh, look, you know, I just, I just don't know how my, how I'm going to hold up. And then like I threw like a bounce pass to him, like as he was going for a layup and he almost dunked it. And I'm like, bro, I'm like, you're in your fucking head about this. Like, trust yeah. yourself. Like, you'll be fine. Yeah. And within like 10 minutes, like he was moving around a whole lot more. And even like the good thing was like he came up to me at the end of the session. He was like, "Man, like he's like, thank you so much for the work tonight. Like, you know, to get a bit of that confidence back was like really, really helpful." Yeah, I'm like, cool. Like that for me, I'm just like little, you know, little pat on the back sort of thing. Yeah, it's nice. It's how old are these guys? They range. So there's guys that are like 20 years old. There are guys. I think there's one guy who's like 32. But generally oh, okay. speaking, so they're all in their twenties. Generally speaking, so it's not an age restricted competition. No, so pretty much like once they are no longer in juniors, so pretty much juniors is up to like under eighteens. Once mm-hmm. they're out of that, then they essentially can play um, in this league. But there's still a few guys that still play juniors that are playing for these guys. So they yeah, do so they're, they're they do the like the ones. open team and the juniors as well. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of like great, great football. Basically, is if yeah. you're good enough, you're you're old enough. But it, there's a mixture of like really good, talented young young guys that are coming through that are good enough and really young, and mm. 
some older guys that have might have played at a decent level and are a little bit past it and they're they're kind of not ready to give up yet, so they come back to the lower grades. Yeah, so I think there's one guy. So they've got a couple of guys that like they've you know essentially bought out from America. Um, mm-hmm. So they've got a few like American dudes that play for this team. Um, but like, there's some pretty fucking good guys on this team. Like it'll be it'll be really fun to watch them play this year, and like yeah. really so fun to like. Get, so do they get um, like a a workout program to do outside of training then, or they just kind of get left to their own device? So it's it's a hard thing because like as far as their requirements are like outside of training, they're expected to go for like a three k run like once a week, and that's it. So I, I, I've said to the guys, I'm like, if you guys go to the gym and you want guidance, like talk to me. Like I'm more than happy to write up like a pretty generalized program for for the team. Mm-hmm. But like obviously, you know, there are guys that are like, oh, like I work a full-time job. I come and train. And then I've also got to somehow find time to like spend with like my family. Yeah. So there are some guys that are just like, I don't have time to go to the gym and train for like, 45 minutes to an hour because I just like, I would rather spend that time with my kids. I'm like, yeah, man, like I, just, I get it. Um, they're pretty lucky. Like the, the stadium that we, that they, well, that they do their training at has like ice baths and a bunch of like other recovery stuff there. So like after they, they train, like a few of them will jump in the ice bath for a little while and do some like active recovery in there. Recovery. And that's pretty good. Um, but I just, I try and like, cause obviously there's like a, a group chat for all the guys so I usually will just like message in there like once a week, be like, hey, look, how's everyone traveling? Like, does anyone have any questions that they need? Um, yeah. Like they'd answered, like, what can I do to help you guys? Like this Thursday, um, like I'll be in there like half an hour before training starts. And I told them like, guys, like I'll be there. Like if you want to talk like, you know, recovery, some training stuff, a bit of nutrition stuff, like we'll catch up early and like we'll, we can talk about anything you might have questions about. And there's yeah. like, you know, six or seven guys that are like, fuck yeah, man, like I'll see you there. Um, so it's it's a weird one. Like obviously, like if it was a professional team and they had a bigger budget and they're like, yeah, like we're actually paying you to to coach these guys, then I would probably you know, be like, cool. Like everyone's getting an individualized program. Everyone's having that structure. But yep. because these, like, there's some guys that are like, yeah, like I'm a bricklayer by trade. That's what I do all day. And then I come to training at nine, try and play basketball. I'm like, That's bro. Like, I'm like, I get it. It's hard. Um, but so yeah, like there are some guys that go to the gym. There are some guys that don't. So it's like the guys that do go, like they're the ones I usually talk to about like their training a little bit more, um, and give them a little bit more sort of like guidance around what they're doing and how to like structure things a little bit better. Because a lot of them are like, oh yeah, like, oh, I downloaded this program off the internet and this is just what I'm following. So sometimes it's just a matter of like, all right, cool, like let's have a look at it, let's restructure it slightly. Obviously, if there's things in there that you fucking love doing, like I'm not going to take those away from you, but like let's make it a little bit more appropriate to the demands of your sport. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, you and I often speak about the differences between sport in this country versus you know a country like the, the states. Yeah, and one of the biggest things that I've noticed upon reflection after our conversations is, you know, that kid that you sent me. The other day, oh, fuck. <laughs> Fourteen years old, six four. Like, was he like two seventy five? 
yeah, bench three oh bench three oh five or something the other day. Yeah. Just He's an animal. Just just ridiculously good athlete. Yeah. And there was clips of him on the field and not only was he an absolute monster, but he was agile and explosive and like quick off the mark. Yeah. And I'm just and like his footwork was incredible. And I just I'm thinking like these kids over there from ages like 13, 12, 13, 14 years old hmm. are in the gym training yep. like an athlete specifically for the demands of their sport. Whereas, whereas here, you might have kids 12, 13, 14, 15 going to the gym because they want to be better athletes. I was one of them. Hmm. But we're not training for the demands of basketball, rugby league, AFL. We're training like fucking bodybuilders. Training like bodybuilders or like if, like, I mean, like I had a, I was pretty fortunate. Like I had my first PT when I was like 14 or 15. Saw him twice a week. Again, like he kind of trained me a bit like a bit of a bodybuilder, but I also went in there going, hey, look, I want to get bigger and a little bit more muscular. I wanted to try and help my sport, but it was also like I just want to be bigger. Um, yeah. And then like got into jujitsu through him as well. Um, like yeah, a lot of a lot of good came from that for me. But like I would still remember like in the time in the years I trained in the gym with him, and then like other trainers and stuff like that. I would see kids that would come in who are obviously like quite good at sport, and the trainer will be like, okay, well, we're going to run on the treadmill for 10 minutes. We are going to like do shit that you like. How does that have any relevance to anything? I don't, I can't remember exactly what his name is. When when his stuff pops up next on my feed, I'll send it to you. But there's a guy over in the States who he like specializes in training like youth athletes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's heaps of like, heel elevated like ass to grass front squats it's all like there's obviously like all the power stuff that he'll do with them but then there's all like mm-hmm. the full range stuff that he'll do with them it's all the unilateral like power stuff that he'll do with them and it's like oh cool here's someone who actually understands training athletes and yep. actually understands Some different requirements stuff. on yep like explosive traits actually understands that like different sports have different requirements different positions within different sports have different requirements like the way that you would train a running back is not the same way you're going to def- like train a defensive, like a defensive lineman. Like no, different fucking like, like even when I was looking at, you know, trying to do a bit of work with some rugby teams here, I'm like, cool. Like there are going to be some positions where, you know, I'm going to essentially get to train them to be as brutally big and strong as possible. And I'm going to fucking love working with those guys. And then there's going to be some other guys where it's like, you need to be as agile and as fast as possible but yep. still be strong enough that you can withstand someone trying to tackle you. Yep. And then you've got like the the dual positions in league as well now where like those outside backs have now kind of, they went through that stage where they were like the pretty boys that would just score tries. And now, yep. they're, now they still do that. They're like the most athletic, aero, like aero, aerobatic, aero, What's like a gymnast? Like they jump the highest, they run yep. the fastest, they're the most agile, but then they also have to be 
able to withstand getting fucking belted when they're taking runs out of their own end because yeah. that's what they do while the forwards are catching their breath trying to get back on side. It's those outside backs that are taking those hard carries out of their own end. So they're mm. just getting belted as well. So it's like they kind of have to have a little bit of a mix of everything. But you know what they don't need to do? It's train like a fucking bodybuilder. That's for sure. Literally the only people that need to train like bodybuilders are bodybuilders. Yeah, but I mean, it happens so much in this country a lot because I feel like we're a little bit behind in the... A little bit? Like, <laughs> yeah, we're just in... Like two decades just, behind. <laughs> yeah. And it's. I think it's just because there's not as much money in it. There's not enough, as much research behind it. There's not enough incentive to go and do it. But, you know, you look at those those athletes over there and they're training like athletes from day one. And not only like, do they get bigger and stronger, they get faster and more agile and more robust and they get better at their sport because of what they're doing in the gym. Whereas, like I said here, I feel like the athletes are, the gym, they're either doing bodybuilding stuff, which is making them bigger, mm. but it's not transferring over into you know, better performances on the field or they're doing dummy relevant shit that has no crossover to their sport whatsoever. No. And like, I think the other thing, like, so obviously I was fortunate enough that I went to a very, very good school um, for sport down here in Victoria. Um, and, you know, we had a couple of guys that like, were kind of looking like they might get, you know, um, like scouted for like U.S. colleges and that sort of stuff. And we had like a, a basketball tour over in the U.S. one of the years, which I was shattered. I fucking missed that, but I was like incredibly unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like if we do get athletes here in Australia that are showing real promise, like 13, 14, 15, in sports like basketball or like whatever sport it might be, I feel like, there would be guys from the US that would be like, my job is to keep an eye on global talent. And if we can bring a family over from Australia, from New Zealand, from wherever the fuck they're from, that would probably be their job and be like, look, we're going to try and get kids to come over and go to school over here. And we're going to put them through our programs because our objective is then to put them into, you know, colleges and then hopefully into professional sporting, which then pays us back handsomely. Yeah, but, exactly. Like, again, it's just... The hard thing is, genetically, I just don't think we have that many people in Australia where we're going to be like, oh, my... Like, we don't have many 14-year-old kids like that kid I sent to you, like, that are, like, 6'4", and just, like, athletic powerhouses. Like, the only person I can think of in Australia that is, like, holy shit, like, who the fuck is this person? He's like Tom Haviland. Yeah, you know, he's well, like six yeah. seven. Fucking what? How how heavy is he? Like three eighty or something like that. You know, yeah. he obviously his bench is like three hundred. He squats something ridiculous, but then he like jumps on hay bales, does like heavy pack yeah, walks all day, a, and it's like he's an animal. It's like cool. That is probably the only person I can think of off the top of my head where I'm like that person is built like a Viking. Yeah, but it's also it also comes down to, I agree with you with genetics because we just don't have the gene the pool. pool. Like we, yeah. just, we just don't have that many people. Well, we've got 8% from. of the population that the US does. It's like insane. 
Yeah, so for every, like, fucking 50 of those people in the States, we might have one. But I, think the, but I think the biggest issue is that that one that we do have, because we don't have the infrastructure or the education or the knowledge or the people around to help nurture those people through and build upon what they naturally have, they just kind of get lost. Like, I can think of one guy in particular came to my head straight away when you said that mm. and i will name drop him um because i know he won't care um but growing up he was just an absolute freak 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 athlete like he he was like that kid um i didn't know him till a little bit older um I knew him when he was in high school, but he um, he went to Farrah Agricultural High, mm-hmm. which is like a, out near Tamworth, out in the out in the bush. It's like a a boys' school, live on campus, and we used to play against them. And um, he played the same position as me, and we had like a little bit of a rivalry, and then we ended up both playing on the same team um, when we played New South Wales CHS. Um, but he's just, dude, like I've never met anyone like him. He was, I, I told you last night when we did the first recording that got deleted that I was huge as a kid. Mm-hmm. This guy was double my size. <laughs> like he was the same height as me, mm. but he was built like a man. Yeah. Like whereas I was tall, had a little bit of fat, around my midsection, had, like, bony shoulders, lanky arms. This dude was, like, my height, so, like, a decent amount over six foot in in high school. Abs, striated quads, pecs that literally, like, hung to the point where his, like, nipples pointed down to the ground. That's how much pec he had. Mm -hmm. And, like capped delts like he looked like a proper bodybuilder but could also do the splits and run like a 13 meter 100 on grass a 13 mm-hmm. second 100 on grass and weighed like 117 kilos jesus christ <laughs> yeah i'm telling you that and he played 80 minutes like he played the whole game at front mm. row and when you hit him it was like you hit a brick wall. Yeah, and I as remember speaking. And I always just kind of thought, like, yeah, this guy obviously just trains like a freak. You know, his parents probably had him in the gym since he was a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. damn, it must be nice to be that guy. Like, wish I had that. When I ended up playing on the same team as him, I actually roomed with him and we became pretty good friends. At that stage, that was under 19s, and we were 17. He had never been to the gym once in his entire life. Boar's farm strong. (laughs) He lived on a farm, and he was quite literally one of the most muscular humans I've ever seen in my life still to this day. Yeah. Never touched a weight, ever. Now, he ended up going on to play first grade for Canberra Raiders, and played for New South Wales and played a couple of games for Australia. So 
he was obviously very good and he did a lot with the genetics that he was given. Mm-hmm. But it just makes me think he's the most genetically gifted person I've ever met. Yeah. What if he was in a program from 14? Yeah. Like, where does he go then? Probably would have gone, like, NFL. Yeah, you've got that Aussie guy that plays in the NFL at the moment Mm. who I did. I used to work with his sister, actually, um, the year that he got went over to the States for the first year. He played rugby here, and they told him he was too big. (laughs) And they cut him. They cut him from the team because he was too big and he wouldn't be able to run around on the field because he was too big. And Imagine saying now, that. I know. Now he's won a Super Bowl and mm. he's the, one of the starting linemen for one of the best teams in the fucking NFL and he ha- is making generational money. Yeah. Like he's proper set up his whole family. He's signed like a a $20 million contract per year or something. Like, it's ridiculous. Stupid money. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I just wish we had that system here in Australia for athletes. To be fair, though, like, again, the amount of, like, wealthy families that obviously are at private schools that have children that are incredibly gifted at sport because their parents get them to start playing sport pretty much the moment they can walk – those families would have the money where it's like, hey, I run a sport development program for youth athletes between the ages of 12 and 15 with mm-hmm. the objective of setting them up with the foundational skills and sort of acquisition work that they need in order to be able to progress as a junior athlete to be set up to hopefully be scooped up by either an Australian sporting body or an mm-hmm. international sporting body. And there would be parents in, I would imagine, every major city that would froth that. But again, the hard thing is from a relative percentage, it would be incredibly difficult to justify opening up a performance facility that would help facilitate that going, oh, I might be lucky if I get a dozen kids a year whose families can actually afford to do this with them unless you had like a sponsorship from like the AIS or whatever it was to do that. Yeah. But just think like the argument, I know this is definitely not powerlifting related, but I don't give a fuck because I I find it super interesting. So think about from a, that the argument standpoint is, yeah, but there's just, there's not the same amount of money in sport in Australia as there is in the US. And I get yep. that. You're right. There's not. But if we look at the the infrastructure that we have in place now in sport, sporting organizations and youth sport in Australia for performance development, and we look at what that trajectory looks like and what the final product is, and the final product being the professional sporting organizations that are currently in Australia at the level that they're playing at at the moment. Mm-hmm. And then we reverse engineer that, right? And we say, okay, so the current product is generating X amount of money. If we look back down the pipeline at what is being pushed through the through the funnel 
to reach that end final product to create X amount of money? What if we can just, instead of saying, oh, let's look at the NRL and let's look at how we can get more sponsorship money. Let's look at how we can change the rules to make the game faster. Let's look at how we can change the rules to make a more exciting product every Mm. year. And all we're doing is constantly changing the game but pushing the same quality of athlete into more and more teams spread out over more and more cities and diluting the product even further, which is making it worse, not better. So then you're having to change the rules to try and have the game keep up with what the viewers want. Why don't we start at the youth level and realize, okay, if we take the the athletes that we that we have, right? We're not going to have, America NFL wannabe quality gene pools to work with. We understand that we just we just don't have that. But what we do have is we have a whole bunch of fucking kids that want to play sport and they want to get really good at it and they want to make that a living. Mm-hmm. Let's fucking do that. Let's give them the right training. Let's facilitate the athletic ability that they have and let's push them through the funnel at a at a better product that comes out the other end. And a better product then generates more revenue, right? If you can increase the level of athleticism, decrease the level of injuries, dude, and you're going to push better athletes through at a higher rate. So you're going to have more teams that have better athletes and less injuries. So more star players stay on the field for longer. And that's that will obviously generate a higher level of play, a faster, more physical game, which is then going to lead to more viewership, more jersey sales, more sponsorship money. And overall, that's going to lead to more money in sport in Australia to then push back down and create. Like it's just this cycle that can then just keep feeding itself. Mm. It doesn't just start from nothing. It has to start somewhere. Mm. I'm pretty passionate about that topic. I'm sorry. Are you really? Yeah, I fucking am. I, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I really am. I'm super passionate about that product because I think it's a no-brainer. Mm. And I just don't know why it's not happening. I mean, it's like we've spoken about like a certain individual here in Melbourne that's like tried to like really privatize like sports performance. Like I think the hard thing is Australian culture very much has that like tall poppy syndrome where it's people are like, nah, fuck you. Like we're not going to let you do well. We're going to try and bring you down so that everyone's equal. Whereas like even like you talk to anyone from the States and the thing that like, even like friends of mine who are in the fitness industry, who like, you know, do business on a decent scale. They're like, yeah, like, like if you deal with people in America, like they just want to make money and they want mm-hmm. you to make money too. Like they want everyone to fucking win. Yeah. And like even in like my um like obviously the time that I was fortunate enough to get with Jordan while he was here in Melbourne, it's like there wasn't anything about that where he was like, oh, I'm I'm gonna be like protective of anything. It was just like it's like, dude, like whatever I can do to help you, like just let me know. Like yeah. I wanna see you win. Yeah. Like again, I think I I hope that our culture will change and that it will get to a point where people start to go, you know what, this is what we're really going to be pushing and this is what we're going to be really, you know, like set on achieving. And that instead of people going, oh, well, this is why it can't work, I hope that people then do do turn around and go, well, this is how we're going to make it work. 
Yeah, I hope so too. And we do have that culture. You know, one that's really highlighted too, even in how we look at our athletes versus mm. how they how they look at their athletes. So, what happens after the seasons in Australia? Everyone goes on Mad Mondays and whatever, right? Yeah. And obviously, like that's that's a part of sport is you train really hard. You're a professional athlete. You have a long season. At the end of the season, you want to go off, you blow off a little bit of steam, you have a few drinks with your mates, you have a party, whatever, right? I don't think that's the end of the world. But you look at Australian media, it's like they're hanging out trying to take photos and videos of these players drinking. And it's like then you go on Facebook and you read the comments and it's like, oh, can't believe that guy was drinking a beer at 9 a.m. What a loser. Setting a bad example for the kids. <laughs> yeah. And then like, right? you see a video of Tom Brady getting off a boat after he wins a Super Bowl. He's absolutely fucking cactus. Just, just throwing, <laughs> literally throwing the, the trophy from like boat to boat. And America's like, yeah, Tom Brady, we love you. Celebrate it. <laughs> you earned <America>. it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, don't tear people down. But I think that also comes from... Australia's culture of um, like she'll be right, mate, laid back, like don't try too hard. Mm. It's like I feel like a lot of a lot of our culture is built on not trying hard at anything because trying hard's not cool. It's like I've got to be seen to be like laid back, and oh, I don't want to do too much because you know she'll be right. It'll it'll work out, mate. Mm. And if anyone doesn't have that attitude, and they're like, "No, f- you know, fuck that!" Like, I'm gonna g- if I want something, I'm gonna go after it, and I'm not gonna be afraid to put in the effort and put it out there. I feel like that kind of gets torn down a little bit. Yeah, agreed. By the by, the should be writers. Cunts. <laughs> anyway, but I, come on, let's train our kids up. Let's let's build some freak athletes. Fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I want to see it. I want to see some fucking kids like that, um, like that fourteen-year-old tearing around. Would you got to like drive around some like rural farms and be like, "Excuse me, do you have a child under the age of fifteen who's <laughs> over six foot tall?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not weird. We promise. <laughs> we're not weird. We just want to make your family a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> they'll be like, they're like. You know, cock their shotgun. They're like, "Get the fuck off my property!" <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> got plenty of space, plenty of space to bury you out here. <laughs> yep. Like, no one will know you're gone. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, fuck. That was that took a massive rant, but um, I really I feel like we should have more conversations around that, man, because I I think that we could really make a difference in. The, like the bigger picture of Australian sport for not only the juniors but the the final product as well. Well, I also feel like if you know, like hypothetically, if we did start doing a bit of work with juniors and you know, clubs were like, oh, like these kids are fucking fantastic. Like, where have they come from? Like, what have they been doing? And then it's like, oh, well, you know, that was these are the guys that they saw. They would probably then be like, hey, like, can you do like some consulting work for the actual club as well? And yep. it would then have like a really nice like circular. Or cyclical effect, yeah. um, 
where it was like if you work with juniors, you get them doing a good job, performing really, really well, nice and robust and you know not prone to injury. You put them in positions where it's like they can now then go and capitalize and showcase their athleticism. Um, it would probably be the kind of thing where you would get guys who are already there who are like, hmm, these young kids are, you know, snap at my heels sort of thing. Maybe I need to be a bit more proactive and go and, and do some stuff as well. And yeah. I think that would open up a really good opportunity as well. Again, as you said, to make a really major impact on Australian sport as a whole. Yeah. Um, whereas instead of going, hey, we only work with juniors, it's like, yeah, like juniors might be the, the area where we can make a really good difference. But then having the opportunity to then work with the more senior guys as well and be like, cool, we might be able to give you another year or two of playing. Yeah. You know what my um like what I'd love to do is Tell me. I haven't mentioned this to, I haven't mentioned this to anyone, but um I would love in the States, um so obviously like level three has happened a couple of times recently. The first mm-hmm. two intakes have happened this year and they're working with NFL combine um hopefuls or or like future attendees mm-hmm. that are prepping to perform the best for the combine. Yep. But what they also do in the States is um, outside of the season, so say like, you know, we'll stay on the NFL theme. Outside of the NFL season, they play 16 games a year and then they have finals. Once that's over, the teams kind of, the, the players kind of go and do their own thing for a little bit before they come back for, for preseason camp. What happens a lot of the time in that gap between the end of the season and the start of the preseason camp is players will get together and do OTA. They call them OTAs. And it's like just players from all different teams. So it's not run by a specific team. It'll be like three players from this team. Like a whole bunch of players will just get together and just do workouts for the off season. Nice. And then when the off season proper rolls around and they go back to their their organizations, they're not starting back from level one. Those guys that were doing all of those OTAs come back and they're starting on level five when everyone else is starting on level one. What does OTA stand for? I've got no fucking idea. Sick. I think something like maybe optional training something. Accumulation. I I don't know. I could find out. Maybe we but, should um, just don that right now. Yeah. Like, I just think that's such a cool idea. Like, imagine being like, yeah, so you're in pre-preseason. Let's do it. Let's run Let's run camps yeah. where people can from all different organizations can just come and get pre-preseason work in. Yeah, we'll have some – we'll get a gym program. We'll do some field work. We'll do some explosive work. We'll do like conditioning work. We'll do all sorts of shit. But what you're going to do is you're going to start day one of preseason miles of fucking head of everyone else. Yeah. Like that would be so sick. Mm. And that straight away would have an impact on development. Absolutely it would. Cool. We can talk about that more because I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, same. What'd you get up to today? Uh, I had to go do my uh, first aid again this morning. All of it? Uh, it was like 
it was only meant to be from like nine till one. Um, and we got out of there at like quarter past 12 or whatever it was. But the woman who ran it was just the fucking worst. <laughs> You'll send me a couple of messages during the day that I was, oh. I was having a good laugh. What? She, like, <laughs> she was just fucking rude. Like, Oh, really? Yeah, like some people rocked up like 10 minutes late because their train was late. And she's like, no, sorry, like you, you can't come in. They're like, our train was late. Like we, that's out of our control. She's like, yeah, but you were meant to be here for a nine o'clock start. And they're like, yeah, our, our train, train was, was due late. to get in at eight fifty-five. The station is across the road from the venue. We would have been here on time if the trains were running on time. And she goes, oh, okay, well, I'll make an exception then. And then, okay, and, lady, <laughs> like, yeah. And then she's like, all right, like I just need you to sign in. They signed in, and she's like, oh, actually, have you guys done like? your like online assessment and they're like what online assessment and she's like before you can do today like you have to have done the online assessment because today is just the practical stuff that i have to mark you off on and then i can send you off your way so like if you haven't done the online stuff you can't actually be here today you have to leave and then some guy rocked up at like 9 30 and she's like no sorry i'm i'm i've already started you can't be here you'll have to leave and call the company and reschedule I'm like, just let them fucking come in. Yeah, it's first aid, lady. Jesus. Yeah, and then if like people were it's doing not something surgery, exactly. I'm glad you're catching on. Um, <laughs> but like people would do something, and she'd be like, "No, you're doing that completely wrong." And I'm like, "You're teach me, like, lady. Like, stop being so fucking judgmental and rude about this. Like, your job is to teach people. Like, instead of being a fucking cunt, yeah, and like coming in with like so much tone." Teach them, yeah, and then Show me she how to would, do this. Like it was really funny though. Like I was, I, I wish was I was being, in that class. Hey, oh, dude, I, there was a few times where I'm like, I'm gonna shit stir a little bit. Um, so there were a few moments when I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna like call you out for being wrong. <laughs> nice. So like, when she was like, because they're still teaching like rice as the best practice for like managing sprains and shit i'm like i'm like you know that's outdated information she's like no it's not it's very up to date i'm like the guy who developed that process has come out and said this is incorrect stop doing it yeah i made this up guys and then (laughs) she was talking about like blood pressure as well she's like yeah gold standard blood pressure is 120 over 80 and i'm like not anymore it's not and she's like yes no that's that's always been the case i'm like no i'm like harvard medical journal updated that a couple of years ago it's now 115 over 75 and she's like well i'm not quite sure where you're getting your information from i'm like harvard medical journal harvard. <laughs> <laughs> i just told you from harvard and then <laughs> when we were talking about like snake bites and stuff like that she's like so there's like there's these specific hooks that you get um that all snake handlers have and i'm like mm, no and she's like, well, what are they using? I'm like, they use a snake hook, which doesn't have a prong at the end of it. It's like, it's a long handle and then it curves off like that. And she's like, oh, are you a snake handler? Are you? I'm like, uh, well, I'm like, I actually own yeah. reptiles. Uh, and my uncle also owns like 47 different reptiles. So I'm pretty sure I you know, have some experience here. And she's like, okay, well, you know, this is just what I'm being told to teach in this information. I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, I'm just letting you know that you should probably pass on that it's outdated. And yep. then and stop being a cunt. Yeah, and then the next part, which I had a lot of a lot of a lot of lot of fun with, 
we got talking about bee stings. Oh, beautiful. And she's like, this is how you, like, this is what you should do, like, when you get stung by a bee. I'm like, mm, nope. And she's like, you could just tell, she was like, fuck, like, this cunt again. <laughs> and I'm like, you just need to, like, take this thing around, run some water over it, and you'll be fine. And she's like, no, you need yeah, to no do, worries. like, a cold compress. I'm like, like, you can, but you don't have to. And she's like, like, she made, like, some, like, offhanded comment. I'm like, she was like, oh, like, well, how do you know this? I'm like, because I'm a beekeeper. <laughs> I own more bees than you've ever seen in your life. And literally, like, one of the guys who I've been, like, paired up with a few times, he looks at me, he's like, dude, he's like, what the fuck do you do? And I'm like, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Make this lady look like shit. Yeah. That's what I do. Like, you, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, First eight days of the oh, worst, I'm, man. Like, and like she had like had a go at me at one point. Like she's literally telling a stupid story, like that had no relevance to the course whatsoever. She was just telling like stories from back in her heyday. She's like, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a nurse. I'm a midwife. Like this is what I do for full time work, and I do this first aid stuff as well because it's really important and powerful. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. But she's like, <laughs> she's telling the story of like some of the stuff that she was doing as a midwife. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like on my phone, like checking some emails and shit. She's like, um, excuse me, you need to be off your phone so that you can pay attention to what we're learning. I'm like, you're telling a story that has nothing to do with our first aid course. <laughs> and I'm, I'm messaging Nick about our shit podcast <laughs> last night. <laughs> <The> fucking- <laughs> Fuck. I love how like, like when I was driving there and you're like, bro, like it's fucked. It's shit. Like, we can't release this. I'm like, I listen to it. I'm like, I'm like, it's okay. Like people will adapt to it. And then the one you sent me this afternoon, I was like, oh no, that's not good. <laughs> oh, dude, it was so bad. I was, oh man, you don't want to know what my day's been like. I think you can imagine based on like what you know about me already. Oh, dude, I could imagine. I, was... I, I almost feel like I should send Emma text and be like, are you okay? <laughs> She's not okay. <laughs> She's not okay at all. I, She's been Nick's emotional like, support for today. Dude, there was a point today where I had... So for everyone that's listening, we recorded last night and my headphones died, my other headphones died, the microphone was fucked up for some reason. It was just an absolute shit show. It did record and then when I was listening back to it today, it was like, <laughs> just really super echoey and the parts that weren't echoey sounded really robotic and like the audio was just fucked from start to finish. So uh, I sent it to Ben this morning and I was like, dude, I this is fucked. Like we can't put this out. And it was only just a really quick snippet that I found because I was fucking like literally had tears running down my eyes. So I was like, I just need to tell him that it's fucked. And Ben's like, no, it's okay. It's not that bad. <clears throat> and then I listened to all of it and it was fucking so shit. And I was like, I literally cried. <laughs> literally cried to him. And then I downloaded two different audio like software onto my computer and tried to like go through and like cut out all of the echoes, like literally just like highlight the echo bit and delete it Mm. and then put like a reverb thing over it and put an echo cancel thing over it. And like, 
and ended up just sounding even worse because then it was like really robotic and it would like cut in and out and there was like half echo and half not and it just sounded like we were in a bathroom. So then I just got like I had a massive tantrum and like tipped my chair over. Nice. <laughs> went and laid on the went and laid on the lounge. And I was like, fuck it, I give up. And then M came in and was like, Are you okay? What's going on? And I was like, No, I'm not okay. I just need you to hug me. <laughs> I was just like, I just need a hug. Mm. And then I felt better after that. So um yeah, it was quite a day. But we're here now. And um two point But yeah, back to um first aid really quick. It's um I always find those days really fucking funny because I've had to do a few since I've come back to Australia. Mm. And the funny thing is, is working in gyms in Australia, I have never had to. I've never been in a situation where I've had to administer CPR. In in a gym in Australia, right? Not in a gym, never. no. Which, no, which I'm super grateful for because I've been in gyms a lot, yeah. right? I worked in gyms in the US for 11 years. And in that 11 years, I have had to administer CPR and or defib over 20 times. And I've had three people die. So I'm like pretty experienced with giving CPR and using defib mm. in real life scenarios. So I always find it really funny when they're like, you have to do this many compressions and this many breaths. I'm like, I don't do breaths. Mm. And they're like, no, you have to. I'm like, no, you don't actually. Mm. (laughs) That was another point I made today as well. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no, you do. I'm like, trust me, you don't. (laughs) Because I've saved well over 20 lives. And I've never put my mouth on another person's mouth and breathed into their breathed into their mouth. I've, because when I when I've done CPR in the states, they don't teach breath; they only teach the CPR. Yeah, like I've only ever had to do CPR once, uh, and that was like that was a pretty fucked up scenario. So pretty much, like some dude got hit by a train, and he got oh, he got really? pinned in between like the side of the train here, the platform here. He was wedged in the side, so his legs were down the side of the platform, his torso's on the platform. The train's like here. Yeah, not good. Um, but I had to do CPR for like eight minutes straight. Yeah. Um, paramedics are like, it was obviously. Was was he dead the whole time? Uh, he was unresponsive, but still yeah. like, they were just like, I was on the phone to obviously to the Ambos. Do it and it they're is. just like, you just, just, just keep doing chest compressions. Like we have like two ambulances on the way. We have a, we have fireys, we have cops. Like we are sending everyone because obviously someone's been hit by a train. It's pretty severe. Yeah, got there. Ambrose got there. They're like, "Yep, yeah, like we have a pulse still, but he's not doing very good." And they looked at me like, but "You have done pretty much everything humanly possible to keep him alive." They took him obviously off to hospital, and then like an hour and a half later, I got a call from the Ambo, and they're like, "Hey, um, you know, it's such and such from." Ambulance Victoria, um, obviously, earlier tonight you were involved in an incident. You had to provide CPR. 
um, Paresh, like we just want to let you know that unfortunately they didn't make it and they've been declared deceased as of like this time. I'm like, okay. They're like, <laughs> like if you need counseling, like these are numbers. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Is that the most fucked up thing you've seen? Uh, it would be one of like the, during, during lockdowns, there was a woman in my neighborhood who threw herself in front of a car to try and kill herself. Mm, um, that's pretty brutal too. Missed the car, but then was like running around the streets, like screaming. So like, this is at like 8.30 at night when our curfew was at like eight o'clock. So I wasn't technically meant to be out. She wasn't technically meant to be out. The people driving their cars weren't technically meant to be out. <laughs> um, but like I literally, I had to tie Mav up to um, like a light pole and like try and help in the situation. Like some guy like jumped out of his car and like had restrained her on the ground. Like Ambos and shit had rocked up because she was all like scratched up and things, like. Things got pretty wild there, hey. Dude, it was fucked. Um, and then, like, I've, like, prevented, a, like, a friend's suicide attempt as well. And that was mm-hmm. pretty intense. Like, that was probably, like, the first, like, emergency that I, I like, responded to, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an instance where I was, like, a first responder to a car accident when I was out walking map one night as well. Um, mm-hmm. Guy's face was all... Yeah, so you've been... Like, been in a few sort of situations stuff. where you know, having to, and it's weird, like I don't have like any like real official training when it comes to like navigating it other than having done first aid. So like when the car accident had happened, even just something as simple as like, like, so I, like the the car accident had happened, this guy's like head's obviously like hit the steering wheel and his like nose is all bloody, his face is like all fucked up. Um, And like, obviously people stop. One guy comes over, he's like, oh my God, like what happened? I'm like, well, obviously there's been a fucking car accident. And he was like, well, he's like, what can I do? I'm like, I literally just need you to stand behind the car and I just need you to direct traffic like around the car and like as far away from us as possible. Call, like I'm going to call an ambulance. The dude in the front, like he's like, he's responsive. So he's cool. Like, just want to let him just chill there. Like was pretty much like navigating everything. Had one guy come over, he's like, hey man, like, what can I do to help? And I was like, cool. Like, I'm like, do you know, see, like, do you know, first aid? He's like, yep, cool. I'm like, cool. I just need you to like, obviously just like check on these people here, make sure that they're fine. Um, and then just like help him, like just, you know, direct traffic around. I'm on the phone to the Ambos at the moment. They're on their way. Rah, rah, rah. I was like, you know, Ambos, fires, all that sort of shit. They rock up. They clear the scene. They sort it out. The guy that had come up to me at the end of, end of it, he came up and he's like, he's like, what training do you have? And I was like, None. Strength I'm like common sense, and I'm not a fuckwit. And he goes, he goes, well, just so you know, well, he, well, I, know. Yeah, I mean, it's touch and touch and go a bit. Um, but he's like, <laughs> I'm actually a cop. And he goes, nice. I'm off, I'm off duty at the moment. But he's like, I just want to let you know. He's like, dude, he's like, you handled yourself so fucking well. And he goes, the only reason why I didn't say that I was a cop. Is because I didn't need to. He goes, if you had no idea what you would have, you're doing, I would have been like, hey man, like I'm a cop, like let me take over. But he goes, you were doing such a good job. He goes, I didn't have to do anything other than be like, how can I help? He goes, he goes, I just want to let you know, like from someone who does respond to emergencies for a job, he goes, 
you've done a sensational job tonight. I was like, oh, thanks, man. He goes, no, no, like, seriously, like, yeah, you've, you've cool. done really, really well. You should be proud of yourself. And I'm like, oh, fuck, stop. <laughs> stop. But don't stop. Yeah, like, keep going. No one's <laughs> ever told me they're proud of me before. <laughs> Dad, is that you? <laughs> he wouldn't say that. <laughs> That's a, it can be quite stressful, right? Well, so, like, this is back when I was seeing, like, my psychologist, like, really, really regularly. And even he said to me, he goes, mate, he goes, there's there's usually two outcomes of like a traumatic experience. There's like one is like the post traumatic stress disorder, and one is like post traumatic growth. And he goes, "You've mm-hmm. always just gone to like post traumatic growth every single time." It's like you've never really had any of the symptoms of like PTSD. He goes, "You're very lucky." <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Because I I actually do suffer from a little bit of PTSD, mm-hmm. and I have for quite a while. Um, it's it's not really not that nice. No. It's, it's very, you're very lucky. Yeah. Um, it really makes you appreciate the people that do that for a living, though, right? Like paramedics do that. That's what they do every single day of their life. That's wild. Mm. Insane. That's wild to think about for me. So it's weird. Like, I mean, like, I, we'd obviously spoken about things like at the tail end of last year. And I would say I probably had more like PTSD symptoms as a result of obviously moving back to Melbourne and all that sort of stuff from like an emotional trauma rather than like, yeah. you know, performing CPR on essentially someone who was dead and, you know, yeah. helping with a, a car crash where people had been like, you know, quite battered and bruised and bleeding and, that sort of thing. I was like, that sort of stuff yeah, didn't of really course. bother me. And I was like, yep, yeah, cool. Like, it wasn't as close to home. No. And then it's like something like shit happens to me. And I'm like, oh no, this is terrible. But that's where it was like, yeah, you know, there was like night terrors and a bunch mm-hmm. of other really gross shit that wasn't really fun to deal with. Um, yeah. But it's quite interesting how like some things can be perceived as like incredibly traumatic and then other things can be like oh like it was technically pretty traumatic but it was like i didn't really feel that phase yeah. by it yeah well do you remember when you and i were having those conversations at that time and i told you about my nightmares yeah. that's a constant yeah i fucking feel for like you, man. still to this like still to this day two to three times a week every week mm. without fail I, I honestly don't think it'll ever go away. Um, but that's that's the biggest kind of I don't like to say symptom, but like that's like that's how it kind of shows itself for me. Yeah. I don't have like um like disassociation or like flare ups or like aggression or depression or anything like that, but it's it's the the nightmares that just like I, they do not go away ever. It's fucked. Do you want to know two? I'll tell you two of the the worst things that I've seen in the, just in the gym scenario, and then we'll move on to deadlifts because I think these are like pretty crazy stories that I don't get to tell very often. So, in my first gym that I was a membership manager at, it was a huge, huge double story gym, and the bottom floor was. Um, like concrete slab with the like cut like carpet over the top, like the gym carpet, mm-hmm. like you know the carpet tiles. Yep. 
just a really thin kind of carpet. And that's where all the cardio equipment was. And we had a guy who was on one of the stair mills, the stair masters, like the, the really big tall mm-hmm. ones, the revolving stairs. And he had a heart attack while he was on the Stairmaster and had a heart attack, fell backwards, and he's head first straight into the, like, thin carpet straight underneath that was concrete. His head quite literally just split completely open into, like, like a watermelon hitting the ground, and his brain was just, like, on the carpet. Like, it literally just went, like, <sighs> like in two. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, completely in like, half. Don't mean to laugh at a dead dude, but, like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that was at a 24-hour gym. Shit. Which we, we quite literally never closed. Like, it, the gym was open 24 hours a day, 365 days a mm-hmm. year. It never, ever closed. So... Uh, I was there, the club manager was there at the time because it was in the middle of the day, mid-morning. We had to get everyone out of the gym, but we couldn't fucking close the gym because we didn't know where the keys were to the doors because we never, like, the doors never closed. Mm. It was just like a an automatic sensor door that was just open all the time. And then we're like, fuck, where's the keys? Like, she had been there three years and she was like, I've n- I don't even know where the keys to the doors are because, like, I rock up, the doors are open, I leave, the doors are open. Like, we never close them. Fuck. So no one knew where the keys were. So we had to just, like, stand at the front of the gym and be like, you can't come in. <laughs> like, there's a guy in there and you don't want to see him. Trust me. And we just had to wait for the people to turn up and just, like, scoop him up and take him away. Mm. That was a pretty wild Fuck one. Fucking hell. <laughs> the the next one is also pretty wild. So when I it was my third club as club manager in Seattle. It was actually in Portland. Um in Portland and I was in my office and I had a member run to my office and yell someone's dead in the men's change room. And I was like, "Holy shit." So I just like I had a fair bit of experience at this time because it was fairly late in, in my time in the US. So I'd given a bunch of CPR. I'd, I'd done the defib a whole bunch of times. So I just jumped out off my chair. And as I was running to the men's locker room, I was like to the front desk, I was like, get the defib, call the ambulance. So one of the other guys grabbed the defib, came into the bathroom. So the guy had been taking a shower, felt like he needed to do a shit. Went to the toilet naked, sat on the toilet, had a heart attack, fell on the ground in the cubicle. So I was like, dude, looked under the cubicle. He's just slouched on the ground. So I just kicked it open, pulled him out so that he was laying flat on the ground, started doing CPR on this like soaking wet naked dude in the middle of the bathroom. Mm -hmm. The, The dude comes alive, right? Wakes up. Oh, get the fuck off me. Starts like flailing his hands and feet around, pushing me off. He's obviously in shock, right? I stop CPR. So I'm like, cool, dude's alive. As soon as I stop, dies again. I'm like, oh, fuck. Start doing CPR again. Do it for like 30 seconds, wakes up, 
what the fuck, starts swinging around, trying to punch me, pushing me off him. I'm like, oh, dude's alive, stop. As soon as I stop, dies again. I'm like, oh, what the fuck, dude? What are you doing to me? So guy's on the phone to the ambulance. I'm like, tell them what's happening. So he's like, we're doing CPR. We, we do like 20, 30 seconds. Guy wakes up. We stop CPR. Guy dies again. They're like, yep, more common than what you would think. The guy's like, when he wakes up, he's very erratic, pretty aggressive. Like, yep, he's just in shock. What you're going to have to do is get someone to hold his arms and legs to the ground, pin him there, and do not stop CPR until we get there. I'm like, all right. So I had two staff members on his feet, a staff member on each arm, holding him down, and I'm just giving CPR to this naked dude who's being restrained on the floor while his eyes are awake, he's breathing and he's yelling, get the fuck off me. What are you doing? It was the most wild experience of my life. Like the only thing that could have made it worse is if he was hard, (laughs) which he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking thankfully. Luckily, Rigor Mortis didn't set in. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that would have been so much weirder, but luckily... Luckily, he wasn't that excited. He's naked and stiff. What do I do? <laughs> it's like, just be careful what end you give your breaths to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, a, that was a really, really weird experience. But that one was really cool because by the time the, ambulances, the ambulance had arrived, mm. um, they took ages to get there. And by that time, we had actually... I had been able to calm him down. I'm like, look, dude, I don't want to be doing this. Trust me, this is super fucking awkward. I know that you don't want to be here. I'm doing this to keep you alive. You've had a heart attack. The ambulance has told us we can't stop. Every time we stop, you die. And he's like, he kind of like started to grasp what was happening. And he was like kind of in and out of consciousness, but he wasn't being aggressive or anything. They got him. They took him away. The wife came back later that night with a bunch of flowers and a box of chocolates and for the staff, and the, she said that the Ambos had told her that the only reason he's alive is because of what we did. Mm. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Like, I think it's one of the things where you, like, you sit there and you go, like, it's pretty amazing that you, like, you actively get to save a life. But I think as well then having, like, a spouse come in to show like thanks and gratitude. I think that's like a whole nother level. Yeah. Cause it, it really like highlighted that he's actually a person as well. And had he have not made it, it would have affected, you know, a whole circle of people, mm. which obviously we know because, you know, when people don't make it in our circles, it affects us. But it's also like in that moment, you don't really think about it. Mm. And afterwards, we were, like, all afternoon, we were just like, fuck, that was crazy, man. Like, we were kind of, like, just telling the story about how crazy it was. And then when she came in, it really made it, like, oh, wow, like, we actually did something pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, crazy, man. Crazy story. Mm. (laughs) That afternoon, there was actually an attempted stabbing on the basketball courts in the gym as well. That same day. Fuck, man. What a wild gym to work at. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, crazy. Good old, good old Portland. 
<laughs> Keep Portland weird. Shall we um, jump into deadlifts? Let's do it. Do we want to do like, obviously like with this being the second one, do we just want to do like an outline of conventional and yep. sumo and then just maybe go through the questions again? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because we can kind of talk through everything that we did um, via the questions anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so go for it. So, give us give us your outline. So obviously in the the context of sort of powerlifting and most general approaches, we're probably gonna see uh conventional and sumo as our main main variations we'll work with. Main difference between the two of them is obviously with a conventional deadlift, um the feet are around about hip width apart with the hands on the outside of the legs. Um and sort of inversely for a sumo deadlift, the legs are out wider with the hands on the inside of the legs. Um, and then for lack of a better description, you then just stand up with the weight. Yeah, perfect. It's it's probably the simplest movement of the three. Mm. Um, even with sumo, even with sumo being as technical as it is, I would still probably say I would still probably say it falls as the the least technical of the three lifts. Possibly. I would say for conventional probably yeah. Um but I think sumo is very technical. Yeah, it's probably. Do you, would you think it would be on par with as technical as a squat? I know there's less margin for error, but I would probably say yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think sumos are really, really technical. So, like the, mm-hmm. I mean, like. If I sort of compare like a conventional deadlift with a sumo deadlift, the two things I sort of compare it to is like genres of music. So I would say that conventional is kind of like heavy metal and sumo is kind of like mm-hmm. classical music in the sense mm-hmm. that when you listen to heavy metal and if you ever go see like a metal show live, they could fuck up a note here or there and you're probably going to be like, eh, you don't really know. It just kind of sounds like noise. It's loud, it's aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, you can kind of like, throw shit at a wall and be like, yep, cool, it's it's artistic. Yep. Whereas I feel like classical, it's a lot more precise. It's a lot more fine-tuned and refined and a lot more delicate in the sense of like if you fuck up a note, like it's a lot more obvious. And I kind of feel like if you mm-hmm. – and I, this is always the thing I find really interesting as well when you see a conventional deadlifter try to switch to sumo it can quite often just look like a wide stance conventional deadlift. Yeah. Whereas if you see someone who is a sumo technician, you're like, oh my God, that is divine to watch. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful to watch. It's hard to do. Mm. And I still convert, I still uh, prefer conventional. Oh, same. Because I like heavy It's metal. the man's deadlift. <laughs> It's, and it's not cheating. <laughs> Don't be that guy. <laughs> no, look, 
uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just something I feel like it's kind of you have to justify it these days when you say that I prefer conventional as if it's like you're a sumo hater or something. I'm, I'm by no means a sumo hater. I actually really enjoy a good sumo. Mm-hmm. I personally just prefer conventional deadlifts. I prefer watching them and I prefer doing them. So I, I look at it and I go, if someone has like a beautiful conventional deadlift, I'm like, oh, amazing. But it's a lot. I would say it's a lot more common that you see a really bad conventional deadlift that they still might be able to get past in comp. But I'm like, oh yeah. I would say more often than not, you're probably going to see ugliest conventional deadlifts than you do ugly sumo deadlifts. Yeah, because if you if you do ugly sumos, like you just it's not going anywhere. No. <laughs> so, so you so you tend to just go back to doing ugly conventionals, yeah. so that you can get away yeah, with it. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> no, I how did you do that? Um, I think it's I I like to make the the distinction between the two different kind of styles of sumo too though mm-hmm. um there's like the there's kind of two different variations of sumo that i see most commonly utilized where it's a more one is a more upright torso position and a more upright shin mm-hmm. and it's really slow off the ground and really fast at lockout and I see a, another variation of sumo that's a little more rounded upper back, a little more forward shin, positive shin angle. It's a, a more aggressive wedge and slack pull. And it's faster off the ground and it's a little bit slower at lockout. Mm. They're the two most common kind of styles i guess of deadlift that i see and i think the biggest determination between who does what is like what suits your body the best absolutely like i think like visually for me if i'm kind of like thinking of two examples to sort of compare against i would obviously if we're talking like the more upright torso the more like neutral shin angle i'm kind of thinking like belkin Mm-hmm. Exactly. If I'm thinking of someone a little bit more rounded upper back with a slightly more positive shin angle, I'm thinking of like Ed Cohen. Exactly. Or even like Jamal for like modern day times. Yeah. It's very kind of similar positioning. Yeah. Jamal or, or Derek is also very similar to yeah, that. Derek's a freak. I fucking love him. I think he's the fuck. Like, it's so funny how polarizing he can be, but fuck me, I love his content. I love it too. It's one of my favorites. I love how much he riles people up and he's just like... I know. Like... (laughs) On purpose. And then he'll just go and be like, I haven't trained for powerlifting in like a year. I'm going to go pull 400. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of my favorite things that he does. I think we've spoken about it before where he's like, I've given up this powerlifting shit. Yeah. It doesn't work. I'm just going to train to for strength, and then just does like a normal proper off season that's like strength and hypertrophy focused, mm-hmm. and then and then he's like, oh, might be time to do some powerlifting again, and then just does like a powerlifting specific block, 
And lo and behold, he got stronger. He's stronger. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought? And the coolest thing about it is everyone's in the comments like, I knew you'd come back. Like, and he's like, he's dude, like, I haven't come never- back. He's like, I'm yeah. just like, I'm just fucking trolling you, cunts, because I'm stronger than you, and you're a weak little bitch. <laughs> it's the fucking best, man. Yeah. I love it so much. But his deadlift is a, I think, a perfect example of that too. Yeah. Where it's a, a, a more rounded upper back, more positive shing angle. He he wedges in harder, and it does kind of like pop off the ground a little bit more, similar to what a conventional would. Mm. And then and then you've got a really like be strong through the lockout. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that there, you know, to, to complete a sumo, you do have to be extremely technically proficient, but there's not only just one way to do it. Yeah. So like making it work to, to your body type is an important kind of little asterisk to yeah. make on that as well. I think like that's kind of like an overarching principle we'd look at with like every lift though. Cause like even if you look at conventional, you get some people that will do a convention, conventional stance of peace where their feet are literally touching mm-hmm. and they still are able to get into a outrageous position. And then you've got other people that are standing. Like if you look at say Thor's conventional deadlift, like that motherfucker is like almost in a sumo position but he's able to generate so much power through his legs. And it's like, cool. If he could sumo in, you know, strongman, like, would he? Maybe. Like, I don't know. But he doesn't have what you would consider like a classic conventional sense. Like, he's a lot wider. And I think that's also then. Yeah. And like, he's just the biggest, a big structured person, too, right? Yeah. I think that's always going to be the kind of like the little, you know, the caveat for everything is it's like, you know, the position that you're in for your conventional is not going to be the same as what I'm in for mine because, you know, you're what, like six feet taller than I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I represent the Lollipop Guild. <laughs> oh, fuck. Perfect. Um, yeah, exactly. But, no, yes, yeah. so true, though. That's. Um, I've, I have had two lifters, uh, recently come to me and start, like, want to start powerlifting. Mm-hmm. And these, both of these guys are, you know, fairly well built fellas. Yep. Um, they've been training, training for a decent amount of time. They're not, not skinny by any stretch of the imagination. Like, they're, they're pretty sturdy, sturdy guys with a ton of muscle. And they know, about Eddie Hall and and whatever, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone watches Eddie's world record deadlift, and it's the coolest thing of all time. Yeah. And because these guys have seen Eddie with his deadlift, both of them they don't know each other from a bar of soap. Mm-hmm. Both of them have tried to mimic his like deadlift, mm-hmm. and it's like it, it's horrible for them. I mean. It's fucking horrible for him. It just seems to work. Yeah. But like the whole like roll the bar really far out, f- fairly wide foot placement, roll the bar in, hips super low, and then almost like yeet it up. There's like no, there's no like tension built into the position at no. all. It's just like I'm going to try and jump through the ceiling. I'm going to catch this bar halfway up my shin, and I'm just going to try and keep going. So like this is the thing I find really interesting. <laughs> 
is the fact that there are still coaches and particularly incredibly well-known coaches who still teach this is the way that you do X movement and this is the best and strongest variation for everyone across the board. And Mm. it just doesn't fucking work that way. No, it doesn't. But what does that supermarket award? It is. But this is where like the, the challenge, and I think this is something that you and I quite often you know, we talk about this as like the things that are true and are applicable across the board aren't sexy. They're not like, you know, heavily marketable, but like sitting there going, cool, well, we're going to give you, you know, positions and stuff that are relative and suitable to your specific leverages. People are like, yeah, but like, why would I want to do that when I don't have a 500 kilo deadlift? Why can't I just copy, you know, Jamal or why can't I copy Thor or why can't I copy, you know, fucking... Um, fucking Eddie is like, it's like because you're not them. You're not built like them. You're built yeah. like you, and we should deadlift like you. But again, that's always the yeah. challenge. And even, and even if you were built like them, we, I say this with all sports. It's like those guys are the best on the planet, mm. right? And for some of them, like Jamal's got a beautiful deadlift. Right, it's 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 it is really nice. I, I I'm definitely not going to fault that. But like Eddie's deadlift is not very nice. So, so it's like I understand it's really strong mm-hmm. and it worked really well for him. But then it, it's also kind of like he's the best, one of the best ever to do this thing. Yeah. He's obviously an outlier in lots of different senses of the word because. He's made it to the very, 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 very top. It's, it's almost like some of these people, these these freak athletes. It's like, are you the best in the world, in spite of what you did, or because of it? It's a good question, but there's also another really big factor as well. Yeah, well, every everything that. He was taking and doing and lots and lots and lots of drugs and the deadlift suit and the everything else, the adrenaline. Did you hear about the, like, I think it was like a hypnotist or a therapist or someone that he saw beforehand where essentially part of his process of getting himself ready to go out and do his heavy deadlifts was like a visualization where essentially like he would visualize himself walking into his kid's room and finding someone molesting his children. That's see, that's wild. But I, no, but I actually I know that he actually took adrenaline yeah, into the quad. But like he, that was also part of like a like a, a mindfulness thing that he like went and sought out a like a professional to be like, I want you to help me access that part of my brain that actually thinks that that is real, so that I can use that pure rage that any father would experience insane. if they walked in on that. Yeah, like imagine. If you're like, hey, I want to live what would probably be the most traumatic day of my life, and I want to live that every time that I have to do a heavy deadlift because it's going to allow me to go to just a place that's really unhealthy but allows me to harness like just some incredible emotion to help me get through this lift. Yeah. And it's like 
he like, he's obviously a fucking absolute animal, mm-hmm. and that deadlift is just insanely good, and he's strong in in other areas too, like f- absolute freak athlete. Yeah, I, I would I would be wary of modeling the way you move and the way you train and the decisions that you make on an absolute freak athlete like that, because chances are you're not that person. I think the other you probably can't. You probably can't train like them. You probably can't lift like them. You probably need to change things to suit you as an individual, and you're probably going to have more success if you do that. I think the other thing is as well, and like this is having spoken to some even friends that compete in powerlifting who are you know on the bigger side, and they do the whole like roll out. And I'm like, I've asked them like, why? And like, obviously, if we're thinking of someone like Eddie, like he was what like six to four hundred pounds. Like six, it's a big human being for not a very tall human being. Like there are a lot of guys that compete in the strongman mm-hmm. that are like six five, six six, and they're like four hundred pounds. It's like yeah, that that you know that makes sense. But for a guy yeah. who's only six two to be weighing in at like one hundred and eighty kilos, like you look at him, like he's got a big tum tum. For him yeah. to have his legs out that wide, like he kind of has to have them there so that there's room for his belly. Yeah. Like again, I think. You don't see it as often with powerlifting because obviously, you know, you can't quite like hitch it or like ramp it or as much like as much as you would be able to in a strongman. But I think in in powerlifting, like I've still known some pretty big people who have done the whole like roll the bar in wider stance and then just try and like ride the momentum on the way up and lock it out. And they're like, yeah, like the literally the reason why I have to do that is because my tummy gets in the way. And I kind of have to try and find a way to get around it and not be down in that bottom position because it's fucking hard to breathe. Yeah, and those people generally have really good squats. Yeah, because they're built like fridges, good benches. Yeah, and not great, and not great deadlifts in comparison. Yeah. It's like they make generally. up like eighty percent of their total from like squats and bench. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like even if you look at like say Vlad, you know when he came out for mm-hmm. for pro roll, like he squatted five oh five. I think he only benched like 200. Only. And then he bombed on deadlifts, but he only like successfully pulled like, I think like 340. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And it's like, bro, you squat like 160 kilos more than you deadlift. But you look at him and like- Yeah, that's a what? Yeah, it's like, but you look at him and you're like, oh yeah, but like that man is built to squat. Built to squat. But, but yeah, that's why 100%. I love Dan Bell. Like, oh, he's so good. 500, benches mid to high, twos, and pulls like high threes as well. Like, that man is a fucking yep. weapon. Yeah, that's why I like John Hack. Yeah, because he does, what, like mid threes, high twos, and 400s. <laughs> yeah, just super well-rounded. Yeah. And jacked and shredded. Yeah, because he's a cunt. It's like, it's like, what? What is this guy doing? When I grow up, I want to look like John. Yeah, seriously, he's fucking. He he's like elite genetics. Oh fuck yeah, elite genetics. Yeah, he'd be like in that Christian McCaffrey family tree. Oh, bro, we have to talk about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking bring that up again because yeah. that is I think that's something from last night that we can't like not include in tonight's episode. 
Yeah, I think we need to talk about it again, and then we'll go into the questions, and we'll we'll touch on our warm up when we get to the warm up question because yeah. we've got we've got one in there. But yeah, I sent um, last night. I sent Ben an Instagram post about um, Christian McCaffrey, who's a NFL running backs family tree. So this guy, he's a freak athlete, uh, and he's just like you know. Ben and I often share. Um, training or highlight reels of his to each other because he's super agile, very quick, can jump, trains like a freak in the gym. But I come across this post that was his family tree Um, and I sent it to Ben and Ben Ben was like blown away. I got it up. Are you guys ready? All right. So his dad is a three-time Super Bowl champion. His mum was a three-year starter for Stanford women's soccer. His brother was a former NFL wide receiver. His other brother is a former Michigan and Northern Colorado quarterback. His other brother was a wide receiver at Rice. His uncle was an NCAA champion with Duke men's basketball. And his granddad was a National Track and Field Hall of Fame inductee. Like, what the actual fuck. Like, that is a family <laughs> bred for pure athleticism. It's just athleticism from top oh. to bottom. Literally every single one of those colleges is like a Division One Ivy League school. Just ridiculously good athletic programs. And then you've got the Hall of Fame athletics, uh, three NFL players. It's like, it's like 1% make it. It's like and how anabolic had their three in their be. family. I always want some. You would you would absolutely drink like a concoction of like the dad and the, all the brothers, like just like a. I don't know. You would. I don't you know would. if I. I don't know if I. <laughs> You'd inject. I don't it. know if I drink it. I don't know because like if you drink it, like, are you going to get the full benefit of it? Like I might just have them put it in me. Just like inject it into your testicles, so that like their sperm merges with yours, and then you start breeding little freak athletes. Yeah, like I might just, I just might let him shelf me. Do it. Like, or that's like direct, direct in. I, I got an idea of what you could do to be like, this is going to be a really fucking gross description, but like buckle it up. Yeah. So yeah. if you got it in like one of those little like collection cups and yeah. like you let it sit in the sun until it goes like a little bit crusty. And yeah. then before a big lift, like instead of sniffing ammonia, you just like you crack that open. <laughs> Nah. You sniff that and then you get like yeah. that athleticism Would- like seep into your body for like a split second. So you go off and you you squat like 600 kilos raw. Yeah, I reckon you oh, could. I think- this, is, this is what I'm thinking is like Em and I at some point are going to want to have kids, mm-hmm. right? Like I want my kid to have the best chance at being an athletic phenom as possible. Like obviously – me growing up being an athlete, me being in the profession that I'm in, I place a fairly high importance on athletic ability. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic attribute to have. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great lifestyle to live. If you can be a professional athlete, like that's pretty fucking good. Like The reason that I'm in the profession that I'm in is because I wanted to be a professional athlete. I didn't have the athletic ability to do so. So... I developed the skills to help other people get there. Yeah. That's literally why I have the job that I have. So if I can give my kid the best chance at being that, like the athletic 
athlete that I couldn't mm. be, of course I'm going to want to do that. So do you know what Zin pouches are? Maybe. Zin pouches, are, it's like little um, nicotine pouches yeah, that yeah. you put in a like seep straight into your bloodstream. Yep. Like maybe we could just like crust <laughs> up some of their and just put it into a pouch and I'll just do like a McCaffrey pouch. Do it. And then I'll just do that right before the the impregnation and potentially like my kid could have McCaffrey genes. But then the question is like, is it actually your kid or is it just another offspring well, of the McCaffrey family? It's an offspring, but it came from me. So I'm going to claim it. Well, that. I'll say like if it, if the kid ended up being like a pro athlete, they'd be like, yeah, that, that's one of ours. And it's like, if it wasn't, they'd be like, nah, it wasn't ours. <laughs> nah. Nah, it got diluted. <laughs> got, got diluted with that with that shit in Jason's gene. Fuck, we have some weird conversations, dude. <laughs> I know, but that... That, that is a wild like, family tree. Dude, that's so wild, hey? And it just really shows that you... I, I think it shows that you can create champions, personally. Oh, you absolutely can. I think it, they have they they obviously have a base level of athleticism, mm-hmm. but a lot of people have that. A lot of people are freak athletes. Yeah, that that don't make it. So I think I think what that family tree shows you is that in the right environment, with the right parenting and the right coaching and the right. Um, you know, nutrition and and whatever from a young mm-hmm. age matters. Certainly does. Because I guarantee you with a grandpa, an uncle, a dad, and a mum like that, that family accepted nothing but, you know, high performances, you know, give it your all, we don't come second, winning matters. Like we're a family of champions. Yeah. And when you instill that in someone, it goes a very fucking long way, which is one of the reasons why I'm so against the way youth sport is going at the moment with moving away from it being an actual competition. And everyone gets a participation it, trophy. It's like, no. Yeah, they don't even they don't keep score anymore. They don't teach like the fundamentals of, of tackling until like 10 years old or something wild like that, because they don't want kids to get hurt. But it's like, one, you have to make it a competition because without winning and losing, what the fuck even is there? Right? Like I understand the whole concept around. It's just about having fun. Mm -hmm. But the fun part of it is winning. Yeah, like losing isn't fun. Winning is fucking fun. No, and and trying to win is really fun, mm. right? So, like, if you're playing this game and there's, like, no outcome at the end, that's not fun. No, because you don't want to have to try hard because it's like, well, there's no reward. There's no point. Like, what what's fun about this? I'm just fucking running around a field for no reason. So it's like, one... Teach them that win- there is such thing as winning and losing and that winning is good and how to do it grace- graciously. Teach them that losing is shit and that sucks, but it's also okay because it's a learning experience and how to do that respectfully and how to grow from it. 
teach them the fundamentals of the game, allow it to be contact so that they're actually learning how to have contact properly at a young age when they're not physically developed. Mm. And then when they're 10, 12, 13, 14 years old and they start growing into men, they're not fucking slamming into each other with no idea how to do it properly because they have never done it before. Yeah. This makes no sense, man. It's a wild and system. And don't give people trophies. Don't give people trophies just for turning up. No. Like, that's it's, uh, whether I say like if slash when I do eventually have kids, if, like, so I, I will obviously want to make an emphasis of getting them into sport as children as well. But I will quite literally be the parent that will be like, if they get a participation trophy, be like, we don't keep this. You haven't won anything. No, you haven't earned it. Mm. You have to earn shit. Like, you and I, I feel like, have come about, you know, the success in our lives in a very similar fashion. Mm. And I can put my hand on my heart and look you in the eye and tell you that every single thing that I have in my life that is good has been earned through hard fucking work and zero talent. Not a single thing in my life that I have right now has has been achieved through talent it is every single thing that I have that's good has been achieved by working harder than the person beside me. Yeah. That's it. That's literally it. That's the only way that I've ever been successful in my life is by working really fucking hard and not giving up. And if there's no reward for doing that, then people are just not going to do it. And we're seeing that already. We're all like, we're seeing the effects of that already in society. Mm. It's, in a, it's a direct correlation. Look at me. I'm getting riled up here. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. You've got to stop me when that happens. Why? It's so entertaining. Fucking hell, because I, I I'm going to get myself in trouble. But, dude, like, there are times where I go, like, full-blown tism rant as well, and you let me fucking run loose. When you have your, know, I'm like, funny. I'm going to let you run loose because it's fucking fun. <laughs> You'll say something like there's outrageous a, and you'll be like, oh, no, the recording didn't work again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't care. I'll put it out there. People are going to get to know the real me, that's for sure. But there are there are topics that I'm extremely passionate about and that's one of them. Well, I mean, we did talk about doing uh, like just- a conspiracy theory podcast. I reckon maybe we should do like a unpopular opinion podcast too. Yeah, I think we should. We'll we'll start doing a few more and we'll, scandalous things. We'll, we'll branch out for sure because yeah, there's there's things that I'm passionate about. Um, let's move on to questions. Sure. Um, I think we've kind of deadlifts. Uh, we covered that. If anyone has any follow up questions about deadlifts, um, let us know. But there's there's deadlift questions that we're going to cover. Um, if you are listening to this specifically for a uh, like a, a specific deadlift thing that you haven't heard by the end of it um shoot one of us a message or both of us a message um tell us we're fucking shit cunts for not covering it and ask us a question and we'll talk to you about it in the dms yeah i'm um, keeping in mind that this is the second time that we've recorded this um so there's probably bound to be some stuff that we said last night and missed tonight um first question off the ranks how do you improve grip strength for deadlifts don't let go of the bar. You can, you can leap. 
eagerly. <laughs> oh, I had to. I had to. I, oh, I saw a really funny post on this. I think it might have been. Um, was it oh, Stu? God, I don't know who it was. I think Stu. I think it might have been Stu. Yeah. yeah, I think it might have been Stu. A little while ago, put up a post, and it was like, "Imagine being a grown man and complaining that you can't hold on to the bar. Like, just fucking hold on to it." <laughs> there was another post that he did where he's talking about like he's like, "Oh, like if you if you can't hold on to like your last deadlift and you do all of your." Um, like accessories with straps. She's like, I'm sure there's no correlation there. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Yeah. Um, but to stop it's biggest... funny because I've, I've seen um, a lot of people have grip issues and all of their training videos use straps. Mm. And I'm like, mm, I would probably just ditch the straps. That's a really good way to put yourself in the best position to not drop your deadlifts. Yeah. Personally. Mm. It's, and it's, I mean, it's always worked for me. Yeah. Um, I think where I would start for potential grip related issues um, with deadlift is the bar placement in the hand. So quite often you'll see mm-hmm. people that like grip here and then the bar will just like yep. start to roll in their hand as the lift goes on. I would generally start with it a little bit high, potentially even like gripping like in the tops of the fingers there. Again, it's going to kind of depend on person to person. If they've got to really worry about like calluses tearing, that can sometimes be problematic. Um, But I would generally look at if someone is like say gripping onto a bar and as they're standing up, if it is like starting to roll down, if like they'll usually get to a point where they're kind of holding onto it like this and they're like, oh, I kind of feel strong there. Yeah. I would almost try and bias that to a to an extent. Um mm-hmm. but I would also be looking at utilizing things like heavy farmer carries and actually building some endurance and resilience within your grip. Um and obviously if mm-hmm. you are doing a lot of like uh whether it's like back offsets, accessories and that sort of stuff, and you're always using straps, I would probably say ditch the straps for a couple of weeks, actually build some like good, strong forearms, build some strength in the hands. Like again, like if you look at anyone, and again, like Ed Cohen's a great example. And I, I, <laughs> I've reshared the video of his the other day where they're talking about like his hand size and literally like that man closes his fist and it's like the size of my fucking head. So like <laughs> at like nice. pro rule 10, I was like walking around. Like I was like, I'm just going to like try and like walk around like, you know, try and drop weight because I started to make weight. And it was the day before I was competing and my partner at the time, she was competing. I'm just like walking around, like just trying to like be doing stuff without really doing much. And he comes up to me, he's like, what are you doing? He goes, I've been watching you for like the last hour. Like you literally haven't stopped moving. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh man, like I've got, I've still got a little bit of weight and stuff that I need to drop for tomorrow. So I'm just trying to like move around and like, Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, do it in a way where like it's not really going to be that taxing, but it's going to help me like, you know, utilize energy. And he goes, how much weight do you have to drop? And I'm like, oh, I've still got like 600 grams. And he goes, bro, you'll lose that overnight. He's like, have you cut food and stuff yet? I'm like, yeah, I had my last meal at like 10 o'clock this morning. I'll fast for the rest of today. Um, and then I'll probably fast up until Wayne's tomorrow and then like, you know, 
refeed before before I start warming up. He's like, sit down, you'll be fine. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, but, you know, and he's like, and he literally, he like takes a step towards me. He looks at me and goes, if I see you walking around, I'm going to punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, sir. And I literally sat down and I, I, and I just, I didn't fucking move for the rest of the day. The only time I moved was when I went to go have a sleep in my car because I was getting pretty tired by like 2.30. And he comes up to me as I was walking in. He's like, where are you going? I'm like, dude, I'm going to have I'm gonna go have a snooze in my car. Like, I'm tired. He's like, all right. He's like, I'll see you when you get back. And literally all day he would just come up and he, he, would like, he would look over and I would like catch his glance and he would just be like. But like with how big his fucking hands, I was like, it would hurt so much to get punched with that fucking fist. Yeah, it'd be like. Getting head butted face yeah. on. Um, but yeah, like I would, if we're looking at grip issues, I would go do less work with straps to build the resilience within the hands and the forearms. Um, mm-hmm. And then utilize things like, yeah, like heavy farmer carries to get used to like yeah. actually holding like a heavy weight in your hand in a way that's not quite specific to what you're doing. Like, again, that sort of like non specific um, variability to build capacity. In layman's terms, just hold on to some heavy things yeah. until you get better at holding on to heavy and things. And stop being a pussy and dropping your deadlifts. And just hold hold them up. <laughs> look, and on a serious note, if you if you do mixed grip, you could look at changing to hook grip if that's yuck. something that you want to do. It's very yuck, but um, it can be super successful for some people if you can put up with the thumb pain for a little bit until you build tolerance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a it is a valid option for people if they if they want to go down that route. Um, thoughts on if the mountains deadlift counted as a record at five hundred and one kilos as he was at his gym? Uh, my thoughts are yes. I'm going to say yes as well, as long as the referees were legitimate. Like if it was just his friends, then I would be like, yeah, no. But as far as breaking Eddie's record, um, I would still say he beat it. Um, and, I mean, like, I, I would pass it, but obviously it caused a lot of controversy yeah. that fucking who gives a shit. Yeah, I think because Eddie's was done at, at, like, a big event. Wasn't it was done it? at World's Strongest Man. Yeah, and then and Thor's was just done, like, in his gym. It was at an event, but it was at his gym, right? So... Or was was the event? I think the event was him lifting at his gym. Like it got televised, and like obviously it was during like COVID and that sort of shit. So I think it was one of the things where, um, obviously like they couldn't have people coming to the gym, and there was like restrictions on how many people they could have, and all that sort. There was a whole heap of crap around it. Um, Yeah, but again, like I just I go look if they had someone who's actually like a legitimate referee come in, ref it, judge it, say yes or no. I'm like, it should count. Yeah. To be honest, I don't really care if it counts. I don't either. In like the official record, (laughs) in like the official like on paper record, here's, here's how I think about it, right? I watched it. I thought it was a good lift. So I count it. 
there's a guy like who beat it. Um, his name is Christoph Witzbicki or something like that. Mm-hmm. So his his this. Instagram handle is Mister Deadlift. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a video of him from like January. 18th of doing a 510 kilo block pull. Mind you, he's like a hundred kilo lifter. That's wild. Yeah. Um, But he, I'm pretty sure he pulled like 502. Like he pulls like 450 in comp. Um, Powerlifting comp. Yeah. So uh, I'm just looking at this comp here. It looks like it might be, Oh, it's like a Siberian powerlifting comp. He pulled 433.5 at 97.9 for a 100-kilo record. Um, Jesus, that's so good. Yeah, like he's just a fucking animal. I'll have to try and find the video um, to send to you, but it's insane. So, but that didn't count as a record because it wasn't done at a competition or whatever. No, I think he literally just did it in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, all of those rules around records and stuff, I know they have to be there because it's an official thing, but I just kind of like seeing really impressive shit, you well, know? this is the thing. Like, I don't give two shits if, like, if someone pulls something monstrous in a gym, like, I don't care. It's like, as long as, like, I think it's a little bit different if it's like, oh, I can't remember what that fucking guy's name was. Um, a guy from the the US who got accused of using fake plates all the time. Yeah, I've seen that. And like, you know, he would be deadlifting what looked like to be like, you know, 400 and something kilos for like reps and like repping out like what looked like to be like a 300 kilo. Like the guy was fucking built, but like not to yeah. the point where like he would be that strong. Um, yeah. and I'm just like, bro, like, just stop. Like that, I'm like, it's a bit ridiculous. It's a bit ridiculous, but stuff like like Jamal's lift that he did in the gym, yeah, like he pulled 500. Like, that was wild. You even see like when he pulls it, he's like, he does it, and he's like, like he's in disbelief. Yeah, dude, that was fucking one of the wildest things I've seen. Absolutely. I really hope that he keeps going with, like, the trajectory that he is because he's getting stronger. Like, some of those videos that he's been posting where it's, like, 450 for a pause triple, I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. He's just insane. There was a a video where he was going, like, toe-to-toe with someone else in the world where they were doing, like, reps at 400, and he did, like, the first rep conventional. And then he's like, ah, here we go. And then he goes back into sumo and does like another six reps. And I'm like, bro, you just did seven reps at 400. You're an animal. Yeah. But. Just so strong, man. So strong. But I also kind of look at it similar to like when we were sort of talking about squats the other week. And like you see someone, you know, like there was a, a time when like a 300 kilo squat in Australia was like unheard of. And then all of a sudden it started happening more and more and more. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, like everyone's squatting 300. Like you look at a 300 kilo squat nowadays and it's just like, oh, 
cool, it's a 300 kilo squat. And then all of a sudden it was like someone cracked 400 and then another person cracked it and then more and more people started cracking it. And now you obviously, you have a couple of like, I mean, Odell squatted what, 470 at big dogs. Like, you know, there's some guys that have hit some outrageously big squats. You know, we've seen like a- Shout out, to, shout out Odell, started following me the other my day. My brother. Um, <laughs> but like, then you've got like, you know, um, Dylan and G who've like both squatted a thousand at, um, at Pro Roar a bunch of times. Like, mm-hmm. you know, these numbers, if you go back a couple of years, like, like, like eight years ago, like wasn't heard of. And it's like, you know, we've seen the 500 kilo deadlift fall a couple of times. Like how long is it going to be until we start seeing like 510s, 520s, 530s? When are we going to start seeing like, mm-hmm. you know, that with squats, like when are we going to start seeing more 300 kilo benches? Like, like mm-hmm. it's not, I don't think it's really going to take that long until we start to see some shit where we're like, wow, like strength sports have really taken leaps and bounds because someone broke that, you know, that barrier on something that people thought was impossible. Like I know. Yep. Yeah, um, I agree. I know, I know there's a, an, a potential, 400 kilo squat coming up at a pro roll from someone who's never squatted 400 before. Which is always fucking exciting. Based on uh, a very hefty training squat that occurred last night. Nice. Mm. Quite very close to 400. Mm. Um, and then you've got fucking, oh, I forget. I'm going blank on his name. It's the guy, he's talking about going like 500, 300, 400. Is he okay. here? That's, that's the one. Oh yeah, it's kid fucking hilarious. <laughs> I love that guy. And like, I mean, do I think he's going to do it? I don't think as soon as he's talking about. But the fact that he's even been like, yeah, I'm going to squat 500, I'm going to bench 300, and I'm going to pull 400, I'm going to do it all in the one meet. Like when that happens, oh, insane. So think about, um, you know, talking about strength sports in Australia kind of progressing Mm -hmm. at the rate that they are now. It's obviously getting a lot better. Um, Still a fair bit behind other countries. This just kind of ties back into how we started the podcast though, right? I think there's probably two things that are going to really help strength sports in Australia. One of them is the popularity. Mm -hmm that's occurring at the moment. A lot of people are getting into strength training earlier and powerlifting earlier. So they're getting more exposures at a young age, which obviously then gives them the opportunity to have a longer timeline in the sport. And in a sport like this, it, it's a, it's a slow, slow burn, yeah. right? Like the longer you do it, generally the better you're going to mm-hmm. get. The other thing is if we're starting to create better athletes from a young age, the athletes that don't make it in their sport are going to turn to something else like powerlifting. And if they already have, if they're already bigger, stronger, and faster than what they would have been previously, they're going to have a better starting position, which will end up leading to better outcomes. Mm. You think about you know a lot of those strong people in places like the States, right? Guarantee you John Hack played fucking football when he was growing up. Well, it's funny. Like, this is actually a question that I love to ask 
clients when I have like my initial sit down with them. It's like, cool, like did you grow up playing sports? Because I would generally say out of all of the athletes that I've worked with in my 13 years in the industry, it's always been the ones that have come from high-level athletic backgrounds that have been the best in the gym. Whereas like I've had clients that have come in, they're like, oh, I've been an academic for the last 35 years. This is my first 12 months in the gym. And trying to build that coordination, it's like, like, dude, like this is shit you should have learned when you were like six. Yeah, do you, I put that down to a couple of mm. things. I'll tell you what I think they are and you can tell me your thoughts cool. on them. I definitely agree with you and I think it comes down to a couple of different factors. Mm-hmm. When you're an athlete from a young age, you have that coordination and you have that awareness of where your body is in space and where your body is at any given point during a movement and how to manipulate that quickly. Right? But I also think when you're an athlete from a young age, it builds resilience through positions. Mm-hmm. So say um, someone who doesn't have that athletic background, they come in, they start strength training. If they come in and they're like, oh, I want to start you know, squatting, benching, and deadlifting. Okay, cool. Let's teach you how to squat. Okay, this is your squat pattern. I get really strong in this squat pattern. Anytime they fall out of that pattern, the whole system is just like fucking turned upside down and crumbles because they're not used to it, right? If you have an athletic background, chances are you're a little bit more robust in different positions and you can withstand falling out of those techniques slightly when things go a little bit astray. And you can just kind of be like, hey, I'm just going to kind of power through this Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Would you agree? As a general rule, yeah. Yeah. I think they're two really, really transferable qualities. Yeah, I'd say so too. And I also also think it teaches you to work hard as well. Yeah, and I think that's like, obviously something we we touched on before is like when you, again, like I I was pretty fortunate. Like I grew up playing high-level basketball. I did high-level track and field where there were clear winners and there were clear losers. Even so, like when I was playing, like for the most successful junior season that we had, we made all the way to the grand final for like the Vic Championships. And like we were, it was pretty much, it was expected to be like two clubs that were meant to make it. We were kind of like seeded to come in third. We ended up like having a really big upset in the semifinals, beat a team that we weren't supposed to beat because historically we'd always lost to them by like a couple of points. And we just had like the perfect game against them. Um, mm-hmm. But that was the kind of thing where, you know, we lost in the grand final and it wasn't a, guys, you gave it your best shot tonight, like well done. It was, well, you guys fucking lost tonight. Like, yep. guess we need to fucking train harder. Yep. Even when we had, we're you know, we had the the upset in the semi final in the locker room afterwards. Like, obviously, we're going in, we're on a massive fucking high. But our coach was like, "Guys, we're not done. Like, mm-hmm. you like, you can get like, 
tonight to celebrate. But guess what? Mm-hmm. We're back at training on Sunday. Yeah, we're not going to. We we're not training do. easy on Sunday because we won tonight. Like we are going to be fucking busting our guts on Sunday because we have to get ready for following Friday. Yeah, exactly. And like even like you know when I was in high school, like the school that I went to, like the end of year championships that all of the schools in sort of our district would have, we'd won like 12 years in a row. Like we were like one of the best schools in Victoria to the point where like any time, like I would run a race and the other schools would chant out, how much did he cost? Because like pretty much (laughs) our our whole athletics team was on a scholarship. Um, But like if we won an event and we were winning, like our coaches weren't like, yeah, you're doing great, guys. Like we can, we can chill. It's like cool. You guys are winning. People are coming for you. You now need to push even harder than the people that are chasing you because you have a target on your back. And I think yep. instilling that level of work ethic and a sense of urgency within like junior athletes, it's like it's important. But mm-hmm. I would also sit there and go, just the sheer hey, guys, we're going to teach you how to work really hard for something that's important to you. I think that's a a far more valuable outcome from that. Um, Yep. And something that, like, I think a lot of, of, like, you know, teens would really benefit from, like, the moment that they start having an interest in sports, like, cool, if this is important to you, we're going to work for it. Yep, I agree. And I think that that's pretty much what people refer to when they say the athlete mindset. Yeah. It's just like saying, this is what I want and I'm just going to do whatever it takes to get it. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's fucking really good for yeah. that. Um, is sumo cheating? No. If, you're, if you're a strong man, it is. If you're a powerlifter, it's not. Yeah. So, no. Um, would you ever train high bar deadlift to improve your conventional? So I clarified what this was. High bar deadlift is like the big like um, deadlift. steel wheel. Yeah, it's like real. It's like mid thigh almost. Yeah, that high. for me is like a hard no. Yeah, it's an absolute hard no for me too. I would I would think there would be. I would go as far as to say like almost zero transferability. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I would see any real legitimate value to be going, yep, cool, like we'll have this as a as an accessory to have a carryover. I don't see how it would have any. No. And to even like, go, if we want to break it down even further as to why I wouldn't, one, to get, to get a benefit from that movement, mm. You would have to load that heavy enough that it would be really, really, really challenging for you to do that like short range of motion, right? So that's going to be significantly heavier than your deadlift off the ground. So the fatigue that you're going to build from that is going to far outweigh any benefit that you're going to get from that. Yeah to transfer over to your deadlift from the ground. Like by far, like the the fatigue to benefit ratio on that is just ridiculously skewed in the, the wrong direction. Mm. 
in my opinion. And I wouldn't see any real validity in terms of utilizing it to help build a deadlift unless you were a strongman competitor and that was the event. Yeah, and that would obviously be the caveat. Like, if that was the event, then you're going to do, do yeah. it, try and get as good as you can yeah. at it. But other than that, I wouldn't use it for anything at all. Um, and you know what? On a side note, I fucking hate that deadlier variation. Yeah. Because it's so loud, bro. Those big fucking steel things, when they hit the ground, dude, it is so loud. <laughs> it, like, rocks my eardrums. I fucking hate yeah. it. It makes me, like, jump every time they slam it into the ground. Way too loud. I'm a sensitive boy over we here. We know that. And we well, still love you for quiet it. Quiet times. Me and my autism cannot help but get <laughs> loud rattled noises. by loud noises. <laughs> ah, loud noises. I like quiet spaces. Mm. I've actually been thinking about getting a set of those loop um, things. Have you seen those? The loop earrings? Uh, the loop um, earphones? I think they're called loop, something like that. You'll have to send them to me. They're like, no- Yeah, they're like little... Um, earphones but they're silent okay like they're noise cancelling and they have different um like different levels of noise cancelling mm. so there's like a concert level or like a conversation level or like a silent level or whatever and it's just like allows different levels of noise to come through cool. i've been thinking about getting a set and trying to train with them interesting in going down the silent training route instead of the um, music training mm. route. Just a channel mate in a rage. All for it. Uh, why would someone swap from conventional deadlifts to sumo? All I ever hear is to lift more as the reason. Like That will certainly be a, a valid reason to do so. Um, I think some of the other reasons that I would look at is one, it suits your biomechanics better. And two, mm-hmm. it's just more comfortable, which was obviously going to feed into the first yep. point anyway. Um, but I mean, like I would say, yeah, like comfortability, better suited to your structures. And then obviously in the uh, realm of powerlifting, like at the end of the day, it is a sport where how much you lift is what you were judged on. So mm-hmm. if there's a variation that allows you to lift more weight, I don't see why you wouldn't explore it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if if it allows you to be stronger and you're a competitor, mm-hmm. it's probably a no-brainer. Like even if someone was like, hey, I love conventional deadlifting, it's like, cool, like when you're in an off-season or you're not in a comp prep, we will only conventional deadlift and we will do that until the cows come home. But when we're prepping for a comp yeah. where the objective is lift the most amount of weight possible, this is where we're going to go, cool, we're going to put you in the positions that allow you to do so. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a really good distinction to make is powerlifting is, it's literally like it's a competition of lifting the most weight over those three lifts, right? Mm-hmm. So what you prefer at, s- at some level kind of really doesn't matter over what works best for you to get you the best result in the competition if you want to take it serious. Mm. 
right? Like if I want to be a, a professional sprinter, I'm probably not going to rock up to the 100 meter track event and say, like, I, I'm, I want to run the 100, but I just prefer running on my hands. I believe they call it yogging. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, I might prefer it, but it's not going to fucking get me a good result, is it? <laughs> so, so I'm going to do the thing that puts me in the best position to win. <laughs> yogging. Fuck, you're an idiot. <laughs> oh, fuck. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, <laughs> nice things being conversations. <laughs> just And friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would kind of add, though, um, you and I often speak about movement variability mm-hmm. and we, we often get on our high horse around not just doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, eight times a week, year round. Yep. Um, so if you are a conventional deadlifter, I think it's you know, potentially a good idea to include some sumo deadlifting throughout the year, just for some different stimulus through the hips and get your body moving in a different way. And if you're a sumo deadlifter, I think there's vice versa validity in doing some conventional deadlifting throughout the year as well. Absolutely. If they added another pressing movement to powerlifting, what would you want it to be and why? So I'm going to kind of work in the reverse order that we spoke about last night. If we're going to go Mm -hmm. for another like pressing movement, I would want to go for a max weighted dip, Mm -hmm. especially with like what the IPF has done with like elbow depth on a bench press. I feel like it would be a lot easier to gauge relative depth on a dip than it would be on a bench. But if it wasn't necessarily a pressing movement, I would want to see a max weighted chin up. Yeah, I I think that's a super cool option. Um, I'm going to go with the caveat of I fucking hate the pressing movement that they. (laughs) (laughs) I hate the pressing movement that they currently have, and I want them to take that out. So I would hate to add another one. Um, so I would swap bench press for single arm dumbbell row would. and call it a day. Like, now, like if I, I had to keep bench benching, and just make it a max one arm row. <laughs> yeah, fuck it, let's do that. Well, they do fucking kettlebell competitions where it's like max kettlebell snatches in a in a time period. Why don't you just be like, cool? I'm going to start a competition of max dumbbell rows where it's like you take the the seventy and you've got thirty or sixty seconds to do as many reps as you possibly can. Yeet. I would do I that. I know you would. I think I'd do well I think at you it would too. too. I'm pretty good dumbbell rower. Mm. Um, uh, I would probably, uh, I think I would probably add, uh, if I had to be like a pressing movement, a log press. Yeah. But if I could choose anything to add, it wouldn't be the single arm dumbbell row. If I had to choose anything to add, I think I would add a hang power clean. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, I just think it would be cool for, and I think it'd help, like you said last night, I think it would help bring a little bit of athleticism to powerlifting. And what I actually think it would do is I think it would inadvertently 
help people squat bench and deadlift better too. Well, especially if they've got to try and catch in the front rack position. Like the amount of people that just like, you see pallets when they squat, they're all like, <laughs> like actually trying to get someone yeah, into like you... a front rack position would be, I mean, like, A, it would be fucking challenging for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, but if it was part of the if it was part of the sport, then it would require people would to train those qualities to improve their mobility, their positioning, and that sort of shit to actually facilitate some general athleticism. And then they would all go, "Well, yeah, I can do this. I'm going to go do weightlifting." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can go to the Olympics if I do that. Um, but yeah, I think I would actually. That's a cool experiment. I'd like to mm. do that. I'm going to start adding some of that stuff into my training. Um, not not immediately, not for a little while, um, but after this kind of little um, period that I'm going through at the moment where it's, um, I don't want to say rehab focused because it's not, it's hypertrophy focused, yeah. but based on the nature of the training that I'm doing, which is just moving better and moving mm-hmm. properly, it's, it is actually like rehabbing at the same time, but that's not the It's focus. like remedial hypertrophy. Exactly. And once I go through that stage, I am looking to add a few more of those like power cleans, things like yeah. that, um, which I think will be fun. Nice. Um, best way to prevent lower back pain during and after a heavy deadlift session without smashing Voltaren. So obviously like when we kind of like touched on this last night, we kind of had a talk about the guy who put this one in. And obviously like, he's a strong lad. Um, very so strong. I think it's probably more so a matter of his brace not being appropriate enough to handle the load that he is using. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, like if I think of one of the sets that I'm probably most proud of, it's probably like my 270 triple beltless. Like I did that, mm-hmm. there wasn't any lower back doms, and like that's a big deadlift mm-hmm. for you know a. You know, 96 kilo natty guy especially beltless um Mm -hmm. so like i look at i go if i'm able to move that load without a belt and not have any lower back feedback i think that's probably indicative as a cool my brace is appropriate for that that i'm doing um Mm -hmm. if someone is getting to a point where like after their sessions they're like yeah like my my lower back is cooked, I would probably just come back to their brace probably needs to be improved a little bit to be a little bit more appropriate to what they're trying to lift. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of what we spoke about last night. And then I think positioning was the other topic that we touched on. Whereas like if the positioning is out a little bit, it's probably going to be loading that area a little bit more than it potentially could be. The other thing that I was that I was um, kind of thought after the fact as well is I had a lifter last year who um, had to utilize a ton of Voltaren through her prep, um, mostly for like lower back, um, kind of like in that SI area region, um, and got through the prep fine like it was just it wasn't like anything horrible um but what we've been able to do 
through the off season is work on getting her hips moving better and getting her like control over her pelvis a lot better, her bracing better, so that her she's not needing to make up the the lack of movement of the hips and lack of bracing with the, the SI joint movement and it's literally alleviated all of her lower back pain. Amazing. And she's deadlifting more this prep, heavier, more volume, and ha- hasn't touched a single Voltaren tablet. Music to my ears. Yeah, so it's it just kind of comes down to the bracing, but I think also, like, why is that part of you? Why is your lower back taking so much of the load? Mm-hmm. And, like, where is the deficiency that's, that's directing the load to that area? I think a lot of the time it can be the hips. Yeah. But it would, that would also kind of come down to whereabouts in the lower back the pain is. Lower back's like a pretty solid amount of space. And there's a lot of overlapping things that like interact in that area. So it's hard to to say, oh, well, it could be lats. It could be your glutes. It could be like SI joint. It could be a myriad of other things. Could be anything. The lower back's a big area. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff there. But it could be any of those things. Any of them. Could also just be... It could also just be um, that you're deadlifting really heavy and squatting really heavy and benching really heavy multiple times a week because I know this particular person is one week mm-hmm. out and untested and you'll get a lot of fucking lower back pumps, man. The thing that I would if, if that's look at as well on that front is like if lower back is blowing up that heavily, I would be looking really heavily at like managing volume a lot better. And obviously like to an extent, and it's obviously a little bit hard when you are like a week out from comp, especially as an untested lifter, but like load management as well. Um, I think, you know, placing it again, like we talk quite a lot about utilizing training to prepare you for the day. And I think Mm -hmm. if, if in training you're constantly getting beat up week in, week out from your deadlifts or your squats or whatever it might be, and you're like, fuck, like I do this and then I'm cooked for like four or five days and pretty much enough time to recover before I have to do it all over again. And it's just this never-ending cycle of train, sore, recover, train, sore, recover. And that's the same cycle that you keep going over. I think especially like post-comp, it would be incredibly important to introduce some of that movement variability um, and really assess why the lower back keeps getting flogged so fucking hard from your deadlifts mm-hmm. because the reality is, like, it shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. And if it is and if if you're handling loads to that extent and it is happening, I would probably then suggest looking at ways that you could help mitigate that to the to help get you through prep without having to to resort to extreme measures. So maybe things like alternating heavy weeks of squat and deadlift as a load management mm-hmm. tool um, or just like lowering overall weekly weekly deadlifting volume um, could be another way as well. Yep. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of different things that you could look at doing. Um, 
hitching a deadlift during training to get the lift or ditch the lift as it won't count in comp? Uh, if we're talking specific to powerlifters, there's absolutely no reason why we need to be hitching. So if you're a powerlifter and you're hitching, you may as well just drop the weight. Don't even worry about finishing because you'll just induce a shitload more fatigue that you need to cover, recover from. If you're a strong man where you yep. can hitch and comp, you can hitch and train because it's relative. But a powerlifter mm-hmm. or a gen pop client has no business hitching. So I would just say do not do it. And if you do, I yep. will punch you in the throat. Yeah, I'll kick you straight in the dick. Straight in the dick. Yeah, and if you don't have one, Cunt punch. tough luck. <laughs> I'll kick you where your dick should be. <laughs> yeah, don't this do time. it. If you're a powerlifter, just don't do it. There's no need for it. And and fucking squat to death while you're at it. <laughs> that's a, that's going to be a fucking fun topic for us to talk about. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, that rolls. Oh, I know up. it does. But remember, um, we're talking deadlifts stretches- at the moment. I know. I just had to throw I know. you. Just gonna throw a little bit of shade because it's like, it's like the deadlift equivalent, yeah. you know. And if we're talking about shit things, like that, just makes the top of the list. <laughs> yeah. Stre- stretches before, stretches before as a warm up or after a workout as a cool down? Question mark. So, I'm pretty much gonna give the same answer that I gave last night. I don't mind I mean, stretches at the start of a workout if it's relative to getting you access to the positions that you need to be able to get to. Um, I think the mm-hmm. little caveat to that, though, I think your accessories should be a little bit more appropriate to facilitating access to those range of motions as a constant. Like, I don't think it should be something where it's like you have to do 30 minutes of stretching to be able to access the ranges that you want to train in. I think your yep. uh, exercise selection should be a little bit more appropriate to facilitating your body being able to access that as a as a standard. Um, yep. As far as training goes post-training, I wouldn't necessarily implement tr- like stretching as a cool-down for a powerlifter, um, but I do think there is some real merit in terms of like if, you, if you're at home watching TV and you've got like a little you know, stretch routine that you're going to do while you're watching TV. I think from a a recovery perspective in terms of like really upregulating some parasympathetic nervous system dominance. Um, and obviously you know, when we are training and a lot of things that we do, like we are quite sympathetic dominant, um, which for those of you who don't know, like sympathetic is the whole like fight or flight. Uh, parasympathetic is the whole like mm-hmm. wrestle digest. Um, so I think like bringing yourself towards that more relaxed state. I like I like calling it feed and Yeah, breathe. I like that one as well. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite. Yeah, well, they're the fun things to do. That's, that's my favorite state to yeah. be in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I think like if we can, like obviously if we know that stretching does um, upregulate the parasympathetic nervous system. So if we can incorporate that as a recovery tool and have that in the tool belt, tool belt mm. as a, a means that we can explore if like, you know, people are showing signs of starting to redline and burn out. It's like, cool. We might give them like mm-hmm. some stretching in the evenings, maybe like an hour before they go to bed to help start winding them down so that they can sleep better. It's, it's not going to hurt. Yeah. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't worry about doing it post training. Um, I just think there's yeah. a better use of time. 
Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I had a really good conversation with Josh from Nexus about this. I don't know if you've seen any of those reels yeah, that we've put up, but we have um, we have a third one to go up in that series of the Move Better as a Human to Move Better as an Athlete mm-hmm. series. And in the third installment of those, those posts, he actually talks about um, this exact thing um, that you just kind of mentioned around utilizing training and moving better to actually facilitate um, moving better as a constant and having access to those ranges as a constant and then how that's then transferring over to him being able to move more load, recover better, and just be a better all-around human and athlete. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super interesting because it's something that as powerlifters I see neglected over and over and over and over again where it's this concept of I want to be as tight as possible to make me stronger. Um, and, you know, I, I can't even squat to depth unless I have four plates on. And then once I've got four plates and, and up, I'm, I'm good to go. But that's like wearing this, it's almost like this concept of becoming so tight that I'm wearing this internal fucking canvas squat suit and bench shirt that I can't move unless I've you know, got the bar on me. And um, it's, it was a super interesting conversation because it's obviously something that you and I speak about a lot <laughs> is that that's not the best way to, to be and that's limiting your potential, not enhancing it. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to hear that from him as well, whereas he's just um, signed up with James Madden, Mm -hmm. who's obviously fairly big on these kind of principles of moving better and training better and, you know, all of the things that kind of you and I talk about. And he's he's got Josh doing that as well. And Josh is like, it's fucking incredible. Like, I'm getting stronger and I'm moving better and I have no pain. I think this is the thing that a lot of power, like, you know, when you look at powerlifting as a sport as a whole, we can, you know, I don't think we have to be gentle here. I think we can say it's a pretty lazy sport for the grand scheme of things. Oh, absolutely. And I think people take oh, that yeah. in its stride a little bit too much, whereas I think people often forget, it's like, you compete in a sport, by default, that makes you an athlete. To be a good athlete, you need to have athleticism. And powerlifting does not really mm-hmm. promote or encourage well-rounded athleticism. It's very much like... We're going to put all that eggs in one basket and we're just going to fucking smash the shit out of that basket because that's what our sport requires. But I think if we come back to the overall principles of like athleticism as a whole and kind of look at, you know, we need, we need speed, we need agility, we need mobility, we need flexibility, we need all these other attributes that sort of play into it. And it's like, again, mm-hmm. off season when you're not in an active comp prep, it's like there should be a nice well-rounded approach. So that when you decide, yeah. hey, I'm going to go off and do a comp prep and I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket, it's like, cool. That basket has room. It's It's been aired out. It's not fucking stanky and moldy and gross as shit because you've had like 600 eggs in there that have gone off. You're like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm going to bring some some eggs out of this basket. But I still want to keep a couple of there for like you know, keeping myself healthy and moving well and all that sort of jazz. But I'm going to start putting in a lot more over yeah. here. I think when we can start to really yeah. put that framework around preps and around like concepts of athleticism relative to powerlifting. I think that's when we're going to start to see some really, really amazing changes in the sport. Like, again, I look at someone like Lily Riley, for example. 
She's a great okay. powerlifter, but she does all like the Highland games as well. She does some strongman stuff here and there. Mm-hmm. She goes and plays golf. Like mm-hmm. she does, she yeah, she does fucking everything. And like she is a wakeboards wonderful athlete. Like yeah. just incredible. But again, she has her moments when it's like, hey, look, I'm you know, for lack of a better term, like balls deep in a prep. You probably don't see her yeah. off doing the other stuff. Other it's like stuff. when she's not prepping or she's like early on in a prep, it's like, yeah, like I'm 26 weeks out from this comp. For the next probably, you know, 10 to 12 weeks, I've probably got some some flexibility where I can I can do my heavy deadlift and then I can go, you know, kick a footy down at the oval with some friends and I can go wakeboarding on the weekends and I can do all these things that's fun. But if she was only powerlifting, she probably wouldn't have the overall athleticism to be able to go and enjoy those things and that would be of a detriment. Of course, and it would it would even become a detriment, or it could potentially become a detriment at the point where how often do we see powerlifters not make it through a prep? Mm. How often how often do we see that, Quite or often. make it to the end of the prep and be just banged up in multiple different areas? That a lot. And that's and that's kind of just become this norm where it's like, oh, you're three weeks out. Oh, you know, you've got elbow pain, your fucking knees are hurting, your hips are hurting, your lower back's pumped every session. Well, well, that just comes with being three weeks out. Well, it comes with being three weeks out when you start your prep from a really fucking unathletic and jammed up position and your your body's not working properly because you've spent all off-season doing the same three things over and Mm -hmm. over again. And then you're going to go into prep. You're going to double down on the specificity, obviously, because that's what you do and that's what you need to do to drive the adaptations that you're looking for. You, there's only so much that you can do before you break. So the, the movement variability that we preach so often is let's start our preps from a position where we're a little bit more well-rounded and we're in a healthy position. And that gives us a really strong base to then get hyper-specific from. And we're actually going to make it through a prep, not banged up. We're going to make it to a meet, healthy and strong. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's a wild concept. It is. And I think people often forget that there is a training continuum that does exist. So you've got GPP, SPP. And when people spend all of their time mm-hmm. down this end, they'll be like, oh, well, I did four weeks of off-season. That brings me here. It's like, bro, you need to be here. Maybe mm-hmm. even a little bit more this way. Yeah, of course. You need to balance that scale out so that you can, again, like if we look at you know, the, the concept of a peak in powerlifting training, if we use the uh, pyramid as an example, if we have a nice, strong, solid base, we can probably go up pretty high. If we've got a really narrow mm-hmm. base, as we go up, it's going to get rickety and janky as fuck, and it's probably going to topple over and break. Yep. Again, Yep. You spend you can only spend a very small amount of time in a peak because it's very narrow, it's unstable relative to say like structures. But for a comp for comp prep, like we can only spend so long there before the body goes, bro, we've had enough and I'm done. We come back down to that yeah. sort of like mid to lower portion of the structure and we build build it out so that we do have that base and framework to build something even higher off. And I think that's an, a part that yeah. people overlook something fucking chronically oh way more often than not um and that's a that's a hill that i'm willing to fucking Same. die on yeah I, I, and I've, I've been on both sides of it so just take my word for it 
Um, but yeah, stretching. Time and a place. Expensive. Time and a place. So. Do you and Ben both warm up properly before a workout or just jump into it? Do you want to take this first or? Ah, you can go, mate. We, 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 um, yeah. we both know what we're going to say. We, we do the same stuff anyway. So I think we should probably outline our thought process around it and how we build our warm-ups for ourselves and our clients because we, we use the same kind of system and I think it's super valuable and we should put it out there a bit. Yeah. So I, I'm going to credit the person that I got this from because I'm a big believer in if I didn't create it myself out of thin air, I'm going to credit where I got it from. And as mm-hmm. we mentioned a lot on this podcast, um, this is from Jordan from Prescript and this is what we refer to as like an integrated warm-up. So, for example, mm-hmm. if, you know, we go in and we're like, yep, body's feeling pretty good. I might chuck a plate on. How does it feel? If that feels like, um, it didn't quite feel as put together as I would, I'm probably going to have a sequence of warm-ups I'm going to do before I then repeat that again. If I then repeat it again, I'm like, yep, cool, feels good. Cool. I go again. I add more weight to the bar. I repeat. If it still feels good, yep. I continue with just warming up as per usual, as I normally would. And if it doesn't feel as good, that's when I integrate the other aspects into my warm-up to com- like complete that entire picture. Think of like a puzzle piece. Like, you know, if like we put down a corner piece and that's kind of like the first, uh, like the first rep of like the session. If it feels good, it's like, cool, I can probably put in another corner piece, another corner piece, another corner piece. I'm, I've now got some framework to work with here. If I put that corner piece down yeah. and I'm like, oh shit, that doesn't quite feel as good as it was as I would like it to, that's where I might need to put in like some more border pieces to try and help facilitate that framework. And then once I've got that framework set in, it's like, yep, cool, the body's feeling really good. I can just train as per usual. Then I start filling in the middle pieces and eventually we have the puzzle complete, happy days. That for me is generally speaking how I will preface warming up not only for myself, but for my clients, my athletes and that sort of stuff as well. Um, Again, it's just a good way that you can auto-regulate what you actually need in a warm-up based on how the body's feeling. Yeah, exactly. This is... It's exactly what I do as well. I got it as well from Jordan, um, and I use the same system for myself and others. I would, I would say that I potentially do it a little bit different to you, though. Whereas I will always go in and do at least like one or two of those gatekeeper warm up exercises before I do my first set on the bar. Uh, and the reason that I do that is more just from a like mental preparation mm-hmm. standpoint and just to like gauge how my body's feeling. Um, so I'll kind of go in. If it's say squat day, I'll go in, I'll do, you know, hip airplanes with sprinter pose, walking lunges with sprinter pose. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I'm now like in the zone to start squatting. Um, because I've done those two movements, that then is my signal that it's about time to train. And then I'll go do my first set on the bar. Like you said, integrated into the warm-up. I do one set of each, set on the bar. If the bar feels fantastic, that's the only warm-up I'll do. Yeah. I'll just stop there, add a plate, start doing the thing. If that squat with the bar still doesn't feel fantastic, I'll just go back, do another set of the, the warm-ups, one of each, come back, do a set with the one plate, 
oh, cool, plates feel good. That's all I need to do, keep warming up from there. If I need to do three, four sets of the warm-ups, mm-hmm. I will, just based on, on the day. But, yeah, it's just a, a good way to auto-regulate your warm-ups. Here's the thing, right? Don't fucking do more than you need to just for the sake of warming up. Make it concise. Make it time efficient. Get in. Get moving. Get to the thing. That's all you need to do. Yeah. You don't have to do fucking 20 leg swings per side and 400 banded clamshells. Do you, Ben? No, you've got to do that and then add in 37 bird dogs. Yes. Tell me about clamshells with a band. Do I have to? Because I came in, because I walked into the gym and I'm going to squat today and I just want to make sure that my glutes are there. (laughs) I'm just going to the gym, you fuckhead. (laughs) Nah, because, like, what if my my glutes aren't activated? Like what is so what what you do in that instance is there's these things called squat plugs. So yeah. they've kind of got like something like this on the outside. Like obviously this is a, a tripod, but you imagine if like this was kind of like mm-hmm. like a you know different shape. This mm-hmm. goes in your bum, and then when yeah. like you imagine like squeezing really hard around that, that's going to keep your glutes yeah. on like all the time. So if if you have to go in for like, I put mine. Yeah, I put mine in at well, home. Yeah. so I'm like super warm by the time I get. That's to the why gym. you can walk into the gym. So like, if you're walking to the gym and yeah. you, you're like, I know I need to do my my uh, glute clams and my leg swings and all that sort of shit before you're gonna do a lower body session. If you've got the plug in, that's gonna upregulate you your glute activation. So it's gonna actually make your glute clams yeah. like super glute clams. Yeah, dude. You know, you know how you have those. Um, like the trigger point yep. balls. Have you seen the ones that vibrate? I have. My squat plug does oh, that. Bro, I wish I had my gym bag in the house with me at the moment. I have what's called like a peanut, which no shit, like each ball in the end is like, annoying. it's like, it's bigger than that. Yeah. Really? Because that's my squat plug. Yeah. So the peanut is bigger than that. Yeah. I was going to say, like, when that gets used as a squat plug, like, you know the glutes are going to be firing. Yeah, I, don't need, I don't do banded. I don't do with the squat plug in, you don't baby. have to. No, you don't need to. That's where, that's where they went wrong with that. They weren't using the advanced technology. No, they were just going with the pleb banded glute clamp, whereas if they had the squat plug in, they could just yeah. do a glute clamp without the band, and it would be like a super glute clamp. And it would make their glutes like three hundred times more effective. Um, and <laughs> oh, I hate you. I hate you so much. <sighs> um, <laughs> you know what's really funny as well, though. When we're like, "Oh, we'll re-record tonight," it won't take anywhere near as long because it'll just be like a recap. We've gone longer tonight than we did last night. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, we'll just do a couple cool. more. Um, these will be these will be quick ones. Um, real life applications for having a heavy deadlift. None. 
zero. I will say the caveat though. I think it's probably, I think there's a real life application to maybe like body weight or 1.5 times body weight deadlift. Mm -hmm. I think being able to do that is probably a good attribute for most human beings to be able to do. I think, yeah, being able to bend down and pick up your body weight off the floor. I think there's, again, like, yeah, like, but I wouldn't class that as heavy. No. And I think this is where, like, if we're talking like real world applications of like a three, four, 500 kilo deadlift, there's probably none other than being able to say, hey, I deadlift X, Y, and Z. But I think, like, yeah. really tying into uh, some of our conversation earlier from tonight about talking about, like, some of the, you know, the traumatic events that we've been in, like, you having to, like, kick down a door and drag someone out of a cubicle so you can perform CPR. Like, if you mm-hmm. couldn't deadlift 60 kilos, I doubt you would have been able to drag him out of the fucking stall. Yeah. Agreed. Like, if we, again, if we're talking, like, application yeah. of a deadlift. But that's just a, that's just- but that's just a base level of strength. Yeah. Right? Like, so it's like a heavy deadlift. But I think yeah. this is where like when we do talk about training outside the realms of powerlifting, I think we do quite often talk about like relative appropriateness. Like if you can, yeah, I mean, of course. again, like me at about 96, 97 kilos, like if I can deadlift 100 kilos for 10 reps, like which you know, I'm pretty sure I could probably do that um, oh, on a good day. Um, but like, who knows after those squats oh, the other fucking, day? Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> but like being able to do that, it probably sets me up to be able to go, yeah, look, I'm probably going to be okay in the event of an emergency. If I need to drag someone out of a shitful situation, I'm probably going to have enough strength to be able to do that. Yeah. Mm. Great. Um, we'll finish up on this question. What's your favorite deadlift moment? Could be yours or could be someone you watched. Let's go one of each. Okay. So I would say my favorite deadlift moment is probably my 270 triple beltless, but it would also be quite close to my 260 triple beltless off a deficit. I don't know which one I'm like, I think I, I think I would naturally gravitate towards the 270 because five reds, just looked really nice. Um, yep. As far as a deadlift that I are we talking something I've seen firsthand or something I've watched on say like Instagram? Just something that you've just seen with your eyes doesn't have to be live. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll see one that I've watched on the Instagram and then one that I've uh, watched firsthand. The one that I've watched firsthand would probably be. Um, Belkin at Big Dogs where he pulled I think it was like 415 or like 420 on his opener like that was mm-hmm. just wild um, but I think one of the f- probably favorite lifts um, that I've watched on Instagram and this is from like one of my favorite Australian lifters was Pat pulling 400 in training for Nightmare on Mulder Street I think that was pretty fucking impressive to yeah. watch yeah that was yeah. wild actually that was that was really wild. My personal favorite deadlift moment is my first three hundred, mm-hmm. which I did in competition, um, and it was a twenty kilo all time PR at the time. Nice, uh, which was freaking it was such a cool moment. It was like a 
just a yeet third attempt. Um, I'd hit 280 was my highest prep deadlift, which was a PR at the what time. What did you hit for your second in that comp? 280. Yeah, nice. So I went, so 280 was my heaviest prep. Mm-hmm. I went 260. I thought, oh, that's pretty nice. Straight to 280 for my second. Hit that and I was like, whoa, that was like, that was mm-hmm. easy. So I was like, fuck it. And I just, like, 300 third attempt. I was like, oh, I've got nothing to lose. Like, I just hit, I just matched my PR. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to go for 300. And like, Dude, it moved so good too. I might actually post the video on my Instagram this week. Just repost it because it was um, it was pretty cool. It was like there was, it looked like there was heaps more there too. I was like, holy shit! Like, should I? I actually, it was funny. I messaged Will, um, who was coaching me for that comp, and um, for all of my comps, I I messaged him after, and I was like, bro, look at this video should I go out to the warm-up room and take a fourth attempt? Because I reckon there's more there. He was like, no. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, okay. I was like, I want to pull 310. And he was like, no. I was like, okay, no, no I'll go home then. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. And then my favorite to, to watch, um, Dylan's, Dylan's deadlift at pro roll was pretty cool. To lock cool. in the 1,900. Yeah. yeah. And and Will's deadlift at pro roll. They're probably my two favorites yeah. to win. Will's to, to beat Baz and Dylan's to lock in the 1,000. Yeah. Uh, I think they were probably my two, my two mm-hmm. big ones. Uh, let's leave it cool. there. Uh, I think that's pretty good. Yep. Wrap it up at three hours. I think um, next week we should we should dive deeper into the warm ups. Yeah, I agree. So I think we touched on it a little bit tonight, mm-hmm. saying kind of how we like to use the integrated warm up kind of method or model. I think there's probably merit in us kind of diving into what are some of the movements that we look to and why yep. um, or what are some of the principles that we that we use and why and then kind of how we would look to progress or regress that through the, the actual like structure of the warm-up itself um, and we'll throw we'll throw another topic in there and then the questions yeah as well. nice I like it cool I think that would be valuable I right, man appreciate you re-recording with me I appreciate you doing it <laughs> There's no way I was putting out that fucking kitchen kitchen episode. Yeah, I know, but it was fun. <laughs> it was. All right, guys. Talk to Have you soon. Have a good week, guys.